Everybody and welcome to Anime Baby, where we're always chasing the dragon. This is your host, doing it dragon style, Mikey, and joining me as always is your grinning dragon co-host Ryan. And holy shit, for the first time since spring of 2019, we are once again talking all about Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. Hey, <laughs> took so long. Took long, all the way back in our sixth ever episode <laughs> and even by then it was like like the like the the first series was out for so long yeah know? like a couple years before then too so it's been a been a hot minute for dragon maid as far as uh, seasons go it's been quite a while for for many people i think out there for dragon maid yeah like it right now for us it's been two and a half years and we're covering the second season it's it's crazy to think how long it's been since then and how much we've done since then for this podcast yeah quite a bit of time and uh, quite a bit of uh, effort later like to put it in perspective when we recorded that episode we were in our first recording setup which was three setups ago mm -hmm. and uh we also did that episode after the last anime detour we went to so yeah <laughs> it's been that, that uh, long oh man <laughs> so much time. <laughs> and it was also uh, before our first uh, summer series, so since doing Miss Kobayashi Season 1, we've done three summer series since then, and we were still a young podcast at the time, but now as we fast forward some 28 episodes later and also some bonuses here and there, I would say since that day back in 2019, we've definitely grown as a podcast and as podcasters, I would say. Yeah, we have we have grown a bit. So we've got a we've got a better setup now. We're uh, we've cut our teeth a little bit more on this. You know, we've, we've we've come a ways. You know, we find out what works, what doesn't work. I've kind of thrown in some little details to kind of help improve the show a little bit. So yeah, made some big improvements here. Yeah, yeah, I've come far. But of course, one thing that hasn't changed uh, since then is uh, our enjoyment of Miss Kobayashi as a series. I would feel that love is still there. That was there back in season one. Yeah, still quite enjoyable. But uh, before we get into that, uh, we got some business to take care of. Because uh, while there isn't much new in terms of background for the series that we didn't already cover back in season one. No, there really isn't. It's, nah, it's, really. We're, we're just continuing uh, Kobayashi here. <laughs> and uh, if you remember all the way back in our season one episode, uh, we started that off by uh, recapping our uh, fun weekend at Anime Detour. I was thinking we'd uh, keep that trend going a little bit, you know, talk about a crazy weekend that we've had just recently that is on par, if not better, than a convention weekend. 
So before we get into dragon shit, let's talk about some cowboy shit <laughs> with AEW Full Gear Weekend. I, I have to let him, folks. Like it was the it was the biggest thing he's experienced in like ever. <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, light the fuse, bring the boom. Four, three, two, one. Yeah, we saw some eight. We uh, saw some all elite wrestling recently. Yes, all elite wrestling finally, finally making it to the great state of Minnesota. Yes, no, no small time shit by by any stretch of the word. No, like at the Target Center downtown Minneapolis for two back to back nights. We saw one of the big shows for one of the hottest new wrestling promotions out there right now. Yep, so like it kicked off Friday with the taping of their uh, second show, AEW Rampage, which also started with the taping of AEW Dark, which is their uh, YouTube series with uh, a total of 14 uh, matches, which was... It was kind of a marathon, but it was a fun marathon, I'll yeah. say. Yeah, it, it was It was certainly a lot for me to watch as well, because I never watched that much wrestling in one, in like one straight weekend. Yeah, or like even that Friday night. Right, right. Like, mostly before, it's only just been like, a, like some smaller, like, events or something for me. Just like one night or something, but it was just a whole weekend of like two full nights for me of straight wrestling. Yeah, though for me and a couple of other our friends, it was uh, three nights, because also that Sunday was First Wrestling Unleashed, uh, Minnesota's local uh, indie federation that uh, does some shows in and out of the Twin Cities area, and they did a show at First Avenue across the street from the Target Center. Yeah, so it was three full nights for you and the others that we were with there. Yeah. <laughs> in a while, three nights it was. Yes, it, it definitely was. Yeah, for the uh, the first night, uh, Rampage on Friday night, there were some highlights, uh, including uh, some uh, local wrestlers from First Wrestling showing up, including uh, First Wrestling owner and uh, head booker Eric Cannon in a tag match against uh, Wardlow and uh, Sean Spears. And he actually got one of the biggest pops of the night. Like, everyone loved Eric Cannon. Like, he even got a chance to. It was pretty sweet, even though he uh, got powerbombed to hell by Wardlow repeatedly. <laughs> and also there was the team of uh, Too Fast, Too Fuego with Fuego Del Sol, the lovable loser of AEW, and... Fuego Dos, who is totally not Cody Rhodes, showed up. You don't know. He doesn't have tattoos. <laughs> Clearly not him. Also, people love him. And uh, we also saw multiple matches fr on Dark from uh, the Dark Order, including everyone's uh, favorite boy, Johnny Unge, Johnny S John Silver. Yep, there was plenty of Dark Order out there. A lot of Dark Order. And if you ask some people around us, too much Dark Order. <laughs> but I would say just enough Dark Order. Yeah, just the right amount, I would say. And uh, Rampage itself, the main TV show, was fun too. Had a fun match between uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry against uh, the infamous Bobby Fish to kick off that show. Yeah, Rampage was the big one I was looking forward to because that was the that was the big main event for that weekend. And also, we got to see uh, hometown heroes uh, Dante Martin and Arya Davari having probably the best match of that Friday night. Just two big hometown guys getting the biggest pop. That was per that was pretty incredible. The 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 air in that during that time was just electric. <laughs> And the cool thing is, is that uh, someone got a picture of uh, Arya posing on uh, one of the uh, turnbuckles, and in the background, you can see someone with a sign that says, Welcome Home Arya, 
That's me. Hey, I had that sign. Nice. So if you see that picture floating around online, just be, note that I'm the one with the Welcome Home Aria sign. <laughs> yeah, your your signs were like seen a little bit here and there in some uh, big photos there. Oh yeah, like I'll definitely get more into them in a bit. But uh, also, uh, also on Rampage that Friday is we got to see in person, live and in person, freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy. Mm, that was nice to see. Just to see him in person was just glorious. Yeah, he's a, he's always a delight to see. Yep, and that Friday ended with a very nice moment. Even though he lost the big lumberjack match against Matt Hardy, they uh, they brought a little girl dressed up as Orange Cassidy into the ring, and they did the big best friends hug spot. I know that was adorable. That was so sweet. Like all the baby faces in that match just all gave her a big group hug. Yeah, that was very sweet of them. And then as for the big show that weekend, Full Gear itself that Saturday night, like first pay per view I've been to since WWE TLC 2017. Like, it's been that long. Yeah, Full Gear was incredible. That was oh, absolutely wild. The main show kicked off with probably the best match of the night, uh, MJF and Darby Allen. Just the two pillows of AEW just having an absolute barn burner of an opening. <laughs> and MJF being, like, probably the biggest heel. Like, he got the biggest booze of the entire week and everyone hated him. And I had a great uh, MJF sign here where it said... MGF likes Balan Wonderworld. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, I don't think I caught like the butt. Like I don't think I caught like a good look at that one. Oh uh, yeah, when I was there. <laughs> it was Might really have been hit by behind the other signs. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny though. But that was still a really great match. Uh, and also good to see a Darby Allen match where he didn't try to kill himself multiple times. Mm. He only did one big spot where uh, he did the coffin drop onto the uh, the on the apron. Yes. And then after that, we got the tag match, uh, Lucha Bros against uh, FTR. And that was also a really fun match, too. Like, these guys can just work some magic, and it's just great seeing FTR, a team that started off great in WWE NXT, kind of got buried on the main roster, but now free to be one of the best tag teams on AEW and having, like, a high-profile match against one of the best brother tag teams in the world. And then after that was uh, Brian Danielson, the American Dragon, against Miro, the Redeemer. Holy shit, like, that was big, seeing Brian Danielson. Yeah, like, not like, only just Brian Danielson... Revived career. ...being in, in AEW, he's taken some of the best parts of himself from WWE and from Ring of Honor, and he has just molded himself into... What we see today, AEW Brian Danielson, mm -hmm. where he's just ruthless. He's an ass kicker. He's kind of an asshole too, but he's incredible. But it's a bright new era for the guy, where I'm sure he feels a lot more, uh, you know, creative freedom, like in the ring now. And it's still wild to think that only a few years ago he had to retire because of uh, head injuries, right? And you look at him now, and it's like you can't even tell. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm sure, like, yeah, the AEW is treating him a lot better, is treating him a lot better now, being very conscious of that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, that match was a setup for whoever won became the number one contender for the AEW world title. The match that set that up was, it's, it's gonna be good. And then after that, we had the uh, false count anywhere match between uh, Christian Cage, uh, Jurassic Express, against uh, the super click, Young Bucks, and Adam Cole, baby! <laughs> and these guys just fought all around the target center, bringing out all kinds of weapons, going up and down the stage. Like, the finish took place in front of the stage where we were sitting. Yeah, that was all very cool. Like, the Young Bucks are just an absolute delight wherever they pop up. They're great, and also, cool to see Adam Cole in AEW. Like, I saw him a bit in NXT. Of course, your boy, Adam boy, Cole. And our show's namesake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
And also, like, the whole weekend, like, this match and that Friday night just felt like we really gotta put over Jungle Boy, because Jungle Boy is gonna be one of our big stars, and he looked like a star. Yeah, some certain people in the crowd were, were certainly putting over Jungle Boy. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> a little he, too much. A little too much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after that match, we had a bit of the, uh, probably the first match where I was just all like, okay, I need a breather. Like, I'll watch, but uh, I'm just gonna take it easy, which was the uh, Malachi Black, Andrade El Idolo against... Pac and Cody Rhodes, everyone's favorite, Cody Rhodes, <laughs> who got a really big heel heat reaction, which I laughed at so much. It's like, why do you guys hate Cody so much? He's he's not being pushed like Roman or John Cena. Like, it's, it's Cody. Come on. But it was, it was still a lot of fun, and they still put on a good match. With that one, I also thought it was just kind of cool seeing all, like, three of these guys in the match, Pac, Andrade, and Malachi Black. These guys are all former NXT champions. They got shat upon on the main roster in WWE, and now look at where they are now. Like, it's crazy to see how far they've come. AW, they're, they're, they're a huge vacuum cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just all like, oh, you were misused in WWE. Well, come on here, and we can you can just do whatever you want. We're more like a, we're more like a recycling truck or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They pick up what W they they pick up a lot of what WWE considers to be refuse, but like knows like no, this is something good that can be put to use. Refuse or budget cuts, big air quotes. Yeah, yeah. Then after that, we had the uh, women's title match: uh, Doctor Britt Baker DMD against Ty Conti, which is also a pretty fun match. And again, Ty Conti, former uh, WWE Performance Center wrestler and like kind of a mid card jobber in NXT, but now in, like, one of the main events of a pay-per-view. Like, her first pay-per-view match ever. Yeah. And having a really good one with Dr. Britt. Yeah, they were quite they were quite fun to see wrestle. The, the next one, next to probably uh, Darby and MJF and the uh, Falls Count Anywhere in a later match, probably one of the most fun matches of the night, CM Punk against Eddie Kingston. Oh, that, I was looking forward to CM Punk. Because, uh, of course, like, he made his big comeback in AW. Yep, seven and, and a once half I saw years. that, I was like, oh my god, like, I would actually want to see him, like, wrestle, like, and in person. A little rusty in places, but it's almost like he's never lost a step. Like, seven years, it hasn't. It felt like it hasn't been that long. Like, he's, he's still got that personality. Like, AW, like, lit that fire back inside him. And going up against one of the best characters in all of AEW, and all of wrestling even, Eddie Kingston. Like, this guy is so amazing. Like, he can work... So much magic on the microphone, and even not on the microphone, also online in, like, uh, essays where he talks about his mental health and how he, like, translates that to professional wrestling and how, like, that helps him as a bit of, like, uh, coping and a bit of, like, therapy. And it's like, it's like, how can you not love him, even though he's supposed to be the heel here? Eddie Kingston's fucking amazing. Yeah, they, they put on a beautiful match. They just beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> like, just repeatedly just laying into each other. It wasn't a match, it was a fight. And they only went like eleven minutes, but it felt like the best eleven minutes on the show. Yeah, they they made it fe- they made it feel worth your time. And then after that, we had uh, the inner circle against Men of the Year and an American Top Team in a Minneapolis street fight, like the uh, False Count Anywhere match. A lot of plunder, a lot of weapons, but still a lot of fun. And also getting to be in the crowd to sing Judas as uh, Jericho and the Inner Circle came out. It was pretty great. Oh, wonderful! They had a great match. Uh, Sammy Guevara. Being crazy, jumping off a ladder into into a table, and seeing Jericho beat up fat face stiff shit Dan Lambert with like a stapler, <laughs> doing like a lot of uh, Eddie Guerrero tributes too, like even one with the frog splash, which was great.
big match of that night, the main event, Hangman Adam Page against Kenny Omega for the AEW World Title. The culmination of a two and a half year storyline. Holy shit, that match was amazing. That that was pretty incredible for me, cause like, um, especially just seeing like Kenny Omega out there, cause like I remember like when um, you were first like telling me like years back about like New Japan and like you were talking so much about like Kenny Omega and like how he's one of the best in the world, and one how, of the like, best wrestlers, and and how in your and saying specifically at the time about like how he will probably never be seen in the U.S. because. Like, WWE would just ruin him if he ever did, because they were the only game at that time. Right. And then AEW came along, and Omega switched over. And to, like, finally come to that point where I'm, like, seeing him, like, wrestle, like, live in the U.S., I was like, holy shit, like, this is big. It's, it's, like, it's like seeing the Beatles or something like that. Just Kenny Omega, one of the best wrestlers on the planet today, alive live and in person doing what he does best and then seeing him go up against hangman page <laughs> hangman page one of the best baby faces truly the best hero in all of pro wrestling today like one of the most relatable wrestling characters in a long time fitting that anxious millennial type character where it's like i don't know what's gonna happen today the world is shit it's really affecting me but i'm just gonna keep fighting every day because that is cowboy shit it felt truly special seeing those two wrestle live on that night and a fantastic match with like little to no outside interference unlike a lot of uh, kenny omega's world title matches just just these two guys just going at it just letting out all their anger all their aggression against each other that has been built up over these two years with hangman being seen as the lesser man of the bullet club or like hangman being seen as like a drunk and alcoholic, someone who just needs these coping mechanisms to get by while he feels he's not as good as, like, Kenny or the Young Bucks. And finally, just rising to that occasion, conquering Kenny, and even getting getting a nod of approval from Matt Jackson, who has always been the most critical of him in storyline. One of the best moments where he's, like, he's going for the buckshot lariat, he looks over at Matt, you think Matt's gonna do something, and Matt's just like, go ahead, you did this. And he hits the buckshot, gets the pin, crowd just erupts in cheers. It was fucking incredible, like, that finish. <laughs> like, I actually cried while watching that. Like, me just going, Hey, fucking it, that's my fucking champion right there! Hey, man! It was a very... It, there were a lot of emotions being thrown around that night. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I also did have some fun signs. I did have a, a cowboy champ sign for that moment right there. And uh, I also had some... Uh, on uh, OSW review signs for that weekend too. Oh yeah, of course, naturally. I had a, a high V1 sign, which uh, there was a, there is a picture floating of that online when uh, someone got a picture of a Deadlock Pro wrestling sign in front of me. Yep, which, got got to give got to give some shout out to the Noggers over there. Yeah, which uh, Jay Hunter did see, which is great. <laughs> and I also had another sign for a full gear, which said uh, OOC greater than Matthew Matthew Machamania. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that one got caught in a picture. Oh, uh, yeah. I did tweet it at Jay, and he got a kick out of it, retweeted it. And also Matthew retweeted it, and now <laughs> he follows me on Twitter. <laughs> hey, 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 that was that was pretty fucking awesome to hear. <laughs> Gave me a follow despite me burying him over Rook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're followed by Matthew now. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> we're, we're, we're best buddies now. <laughs> and I also contributed to the uh, the RPG signs, the big trend that's been going on since fans came back. I had... Uh, on his best Persona girl, to represent my girl from Persona 5, which made even better because, uh, On's actor, Erica Harlicker, was in the crowd on Full Gear Night. Oh, really? That was pretty cool. Yeah, like, I remember her tweeting earlier in the day saying she's gonna go 
she's going to watch a full gear tonight. And I thought, oh, you're going to watch it on TV. But then I saw some pictures of her, like, in downtown Minneapolis. And I'm just like, oh, you're actually here. You'll be in the house tonight. Holy shit. Dang, I wonder if, like, she actually, like, flew out for that or if she had another engagement there out there. I know her husband is actually a big wrestling fan that got her into it. So, yeah. Probably both of them went to go see it to see Hangman win the title. Oh, it's so it's so cool how that kind of like just synced up right there. Like complete coincidence too. Like I did tweet a picture of the sign to her, and she's like, "Ah, I wish I could see it," but it's like, "Ah, it's so cool." And also another fun thing is like after the show, walking out of the Target Center, we actually bumped into a good old Jr. walking down the street. It was pretty cool. I told him, "Great show." Oh yeah, that was that was like pretty cool to like just come upon like Jim Ross just like going right by. Yeah, just saw like, oh hey, there you are, one of the greatest commentators of all time. I, I was like several feet like near him. That was pretty sweet. And then so yeah, that was full gear. And then after that, uh, you went home, but uh, me and my friends we stayed for first wrestling at First Avenue and. That was actually my first time at First Avenue. I've never been there before. Yeah, I had to like, I had to like recognize that because I was all like, "Oh yeah, you had never been to First Avenue before." What'd you think of that as a venue? Incredible venue. I loved it. Like, I love the atmosphere and everything, the lighting, and I love that the ring was set in like the middle of the floor, and then behind us were the was the bar and everything. I do really love the rock star griminess of that place. Oh yeah, just it. Feels, it lends really good personality to it. It feels like wonderfully grimy and grungy. I loved it. Because I've been there, I've been there, I've been there now for music shows and also for uh, wrestling shows. So yeah, I'm I'm somewhat acquainted with it. I need place. to see a concert there. Uh, yeah, like it's a great place to see some concerts for sure. And also with uh, First Wrestling, like uh, we were up, it's a standing room only, but we stood up really close, like about a couple of people away from the, uh, from the actual uh, guard railing, which is, in and of itself is close to the ring, like right up to it. And seeing wrestling super up close, like, actually really helps me appreciate it even more. Just seeing, like, all the the hits and everything and not even noticing them calling spots. Like, even that close, you can't hear them or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And Dante and Arya continuing their big, like, homecoming where they had some of the best matches of the night. Like, Arya Devari even going up against uh, the fallen angel, Christopher Daniels, in the main <laughs> event. And uh, also, uh, the second biggest heel of the weekend next to MJF, Darren Corbin, no relation to Baron Corbin, having an insane hardcore match with the awesome and gay as fuck Effie. <laughs> nice. In a match where Corbin got busted open hard way early in the match, and he was just gushing blood like a faucet. Oh, that early too. So that it early. lasted the rest of the match. Oh yeah, they went for like a good 10-15 minutes. Like at one point he bent over and you can just see just blood just pool out of his oh, head. It is gross. Man. And he was selling it well where he was just like, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he actually won the match too. Somehow beat Effie. Like, and then we found out later that, oh yeah, he had to get like stitches and staples in and out of his head after that night. And oh, he drove himself fuck. to the hospital afterwards. Oh, fuck. <laughs> that would, oh, I'm kind of glad I uh, missed that one. <laughs> yeah. And also after the show, I got to see Effie. He was like hanging around a crowd talking to fans and he's just a super lovely dude. Oh, how nice. And cute as hell. I loved him. <laughs> <laughs> But overall, fantastic weekend. Lost my voice cheering for three straight nights, but it was worth it. Can't wait for AEW to come back to Minnesota. Yeah, that, that really was a, a great weekend. And also, just to see Hangman finally win the title, and if you out there want to see that storyline condensed, I highly recommend checking out this uh, mini-series on YouTube called uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Elite that just chronicles Hangman's journey from the beginning of AEW, from his time in the Bullet Club, all the way to finally winning the title. It's like five videos, and it's amazing. Hmm, nice. Nick Jackson is contemplating something right here. Oh, buckshot to the back of the head. Don't ruin this moment. Now from the other side, and he's looking at Matt. 
Mets nodding at it. Just get back, shot, Larry. Hey, go on. Thanks for sitting through all the wrestling talk here. Yeah, I'm glad I finally got to see AEW live. That was like at the height of like its popularity right now. I'm I'm very glad I got to do that. And just only gonna get higher going into 2022. So yeah, let's get back to Dragon Man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as mentioned earlier, there isn't much new for background for this season. The only big thing, of course, is unfortunately a bit bit of a tragic one is that uh, the original uh, director uh, Yasukiro Takemoto, uh, unfortunately. Passed away a couple years ago in the uh, Kyoani uh, arson attack. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the one thing, like, going into the season was kind of hard, because uh, losing him and then having him to be replaced. Yeah, that's that That was pretty rough to go yeah, through. Yeah, incredible talent, incredible artist, and incredible human being, like, he will be missed. But I did like how the series did keep his name in the credits as series director for the entire series. Yeah, that was very nice of them to do. Yeah, so for season two, it would be uh, Tatsuya Ishihara in the director's chair. And uh, he actually has an incredible resume, too, as he directed all the KyoAni key novel, light novel shows, you know, Air, Canon, Clanet, all of that. He also directed uh, Love, Chunibyo, and Other Delusions, Sound Euphonium, Nichijo, and, of course, The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. Mm. And he also directed the disappearance film alongside Takemoto, so, like, they were actually both collaborators, too. Yeah, they're still keep, they're still keeping up the pedigree for this show, and, like, it's in its uh, production. And so, this season aired from July 8th, 2021, until September 23rd, 2021, and, like, with the first season, Crunchyroll simulcasted the Japanese version, while Funimation produced the dub. And aside from uh, one notable change, uh, the dub crew is pretty much the same as it was in season one. Same director, same writer, same, most of the same voice cast and everything. So... The band's all back together for Dragon Maid Season 2. Mm-hmm, as it should be. With all that out of the way, we're talking all about Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid Season 2. So without further ado, let's start the show. I wish, I wish with all my art to fly with dragons <laughs> and land, land apart. <laughs> dragon Tales, Dragon Tales, it's almost time for Dragon Tales. Come along, take my hand, let's all go to Dragon Land. <laughs> Darling, the superstar will keep me so good to go. 
First things first is the opening and the ending. The opening is I Know Supreme by Fauna, who did the first opening. And uh, the ending is Made with Dragons by Super Dragons. Uh, what do you think these songs? Oh, they're they're both just as good as, like, the first ones that we saw in the first season. Oh, yeah, especially the first one where it kind of has the mix of, like, pop and rap and everything like that. Very cutesy, very bubbly. Like, it's it's they're both very sweet. And also with the first opening, uh, clearly a uh, homage to the uh, the Nichijou opening where, like, a character would pop up on the screen, you would zoom into them, and then another character would pop up, and it just keeps going, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. That's straight up the first Nichijou opening. Yeah, it did, yeah, did kind of look like that, actually. And also just, like... The animation for, like, a lot of the characters, like, the bounciness or, like, one point where the song kind of goes into the rap bit and it cuts to, like, Toru kind of, like, walking around with, like, a lot of swagger, like, as she's singing the song, too. Like, it's really great. Oh, yeah, it's very charming. And also the ending is pretty cute, too. Like, very, like, showing, like, the chibi dragon character is kind of similar to the uh, the first ending, too, but it's also very fun and bouncy. Yeah, sweet little something to end off uh, each episode on. So, let's get you off. Uh, when it first premiered with the series, it just felt so great to just have Dragon Maid back. Like, as soon as that first episode started, I was just all like, it's like it never left. Yeah, it really does. It feels like, it feels like everything is, like, the same as it was before. We're just, con- we're just continuing right on. Almost felt like it hadn't been four years since season one. No, not at all. So, kick off, we jump straight into Toru looking to prove herself as the ultimate maid by getting a job at a local maid cafe. I mean, it makes sense. You know, at first she wanted to, like, actually destroy that place because how dare they make such claims as being... You know, some of the best maids you can find in the city, you know, claims that they can't back up the nerve of them. But then uh, she ran into there and they were like, oh, are you here for the job? Oh, you even have an, have an outfit. Perfect. You're hired. <laughs> and then she was all like, yeah, why not? I got nothing better to do. Maybe teach them some curses and spells. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny because in season one, everyone kept talking about Toru being like a cosplay cafe maid. And now fast forward to season two, we're actually in a cosplay maid cafe. Yeah, but she's actually kind of teaching them stuff, too, so yeah, she's she's coming up in the maid world. Yeah, she's really whipping this place in the shape, you know, being, like, the head chef, being, like, uh, waiting tables, being the, the door greeter, though she won't call anyone but Kobayashi Master. <laughs> and she knows uh, spells to make food delicious, like, literal curses that'll make him delicious. <laughs> that she also uh, teaches to some of the other maids when she's not around. Mmm, Avada Kedavra. <laughs> <laughs> So after we get uh, reacclimated to the world, we get into the real beef of this introduction as, uh, let's meet a new dragon, shall we? Yeah, it's about time we uh, introduced a new character for the show. A dragon powerful enough to rip through the mountain where Toru and Kobayashi first met. A dragon that I hinted back in our season one episode. A dragon from the radical wing of the Chaos Faction, a wing that doesn't include uh, Orange Cassidy and the best friends, I assume. <laughs> Introducing Ilulu, played here by Christy Rothrock. 
and she's here to pick a fight with Toru as she followed her to this world. And she makes a pretty good first impression where she just jumps straight in, challenges Toru to a fight, and they have the sickest fight. Before we get into this, a uh, bit of housekeeping here. I said this in the Season 1 podcast, I'm gonna say it again here, Ilulu, sweet Hatomi Jacob, Batman. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> hey, they're flame sacks. Flame sacks, yep. <laughs> The flames get sto- the the flames are stored in the in the chest. I mean, you know, when she does start uh, building up fire for a flame attack, they do glow red. So yes, they are flame sacks. Yes, and pee is stored in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> My God, her design is so ridiculous. I think it's fucking hilarious. It, it fits in pretty well with all the others, though. Like it's so intentionally over the top that anytime she's on screen, I just start cracking up. Like she's just fun to look at Mm -hmm. and i know people can find it weird not putting and i completely understand that like it's it's not for everyone i completely i can understand that but it's her personality that gets through pretty well though it definitely works and like the whole small girl with big ginormal yabos it works but it's a better design i would say better than that uh, wants to hang out girl Mm -hmm. and later on i will say she does get a little extra something that makes it even hilarious but anyway they have a pretty sick battle and Again, we mentioned this in the Season 1 podcast, but I really hope one day KyoAni does an action show, because they are so fit for it. Like, all the action scenes in Dragon Maid show that they are fit for an action show. I mean, yeah, they, they do need to do more, by, by far. The series, it kind of goes off with a bang, you know? They lure you in with uh, cafe-made hijinks, but then they hook you with cool dragon fights. But Toru is clearly holding back, as she doesn't want to destroy the city. So Kobayashi wants Elma to help, but uh, since she's part of the Harmony faction, she can't butt into Chaos faction scuffles unless one of them dies. So then Kobayashi bribes Elma with sweets over and over again until she agrees to help. Never change Elma. The secret to get her to to do anything. Like like Scooby Snacks. Yeah, like she puts a protective barrier over the city and she's all like, I'm only doing this because Kobayashi bribed me. So Toru easily does away with Lulu now that she couldn't hold back, and all's well that ends well, right? Well... Ilulu notices that Kobayashi, a mere human, was able to get uh, Elma to help out in the fight, and this intrigues her enough to track down Kobayashi to try to figure her out. This involves uh, her shoving her dragon tits into Kobayashi's face, going all like, Oh, you're, you're a human, you just lust after this stuff, what do you think of these? <laughs> But she, it's because she thinks uh, Kobayashi's a guy, so that she's just only horny for Toru and, other, and the other dragons. Mm-hmm. But then Kobayashi sets the record straight, and then she and Alulu have a bit of a heart-to-heart as Kobayashi explains how she and Toru can live together despite their differences. You know, they're completely different from one another, but uh, they built this trust over the time they spent together. And, you know, that just kind of built this relationship between the two of them. It may seem like Alulu could get what Kobayashi is saying here, you know. But uh, she instead gets some other ideas to mess with Kobayashi here. Weird ideas. Ones that uh, I'm going to say right now we're going to get through real quickly. Yeah, because the show gets through quickly, too. <laughs> she believes that uh, Kobayashi is only with Toru for selfish sexual reasons, and she hopes to bring this out of her by magicking her up a peen. Is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So by giving Kobayashi a male libido, it'll prove that uh, humans only have s- selfish desires. That'll show her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This whole angle is bizarre, and I feel it's only because... It only came about because the mangaka was all like, what if Kobayashi had a dick? Well, let's, I got an idea. Let's, do, let's do that for a chapter. Yep. 
probably also has some hidden fetishes too, but we won't kink shame. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, unsurprisingly, this was pretty controversial. I mean, it's, honestly, I wasn't very entertained by it, really. Yeah. I mean, the whole giving Kobayashi a unit was mostly just a vehicle for jokes involving her in situations where she tries not to get a boner. Which is just odd, because it's like, sexual libido is not tied to having a dick. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, I guess... It's, 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 I, I found it a little tasteless. Yeah. And by the way... Uh, quite taste, very tasteless in certain parts. Yeah, yeah. And gross. Yep. <laughs> and not funny. Yep. And by the way, I will say, I will say for this part, I will be continuing to use she her pronouns for Kobayashi, because even though she does have a penis right now, she still identifies as a woman. Having a dick doesn't automatically make you a guy. Yes. Because that's one of the things that kind of bothered me about this when people were talking about the scene online. Everyone would be all like, she or should I say he or her or her. Yeah, like, those, those types came out of the woodwork. I, I hate that so much. They, they always She do. still identifies as female people. Anyway, Kobayashi gets put into awkward situation after awkward situation as she tries to keep her uh, little general at ease. Uh, not an easy task. You know, seeing Toru in nothing but a towel, having Kana and Toru constantly rubbing up against her, and even having Toru barge in on her while she's in the bath. Yeah. And uh, Kobayashi even laments as to how she doesn't know how it works or how it'll activate. Hearing her say that, and as someone who has equipment down there, I will say, eh, there are times where you can control it. There are times where it just seems to have a mind of its own. It comes with the territory. Just tuck it under your belt, think about baseball, and learn to live with it. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it shrinking when you're in water. It's perfectly normal. Cold thing causes things to decrease. <laughs> Though, in this case, it feels like it's because it's getting smaller, it's finally disappearing. Though Toru did get a, got a glimpse of uh, Kobayashi's thingy and promises to help break the spell Ilulu put on her, but not before she uh, wants to get down and dirty. And this is the thirstiest Toru has ever been in the entire series. No, no, we can't get that A rating. No, we Toru. <laughs> just has her stripped out of her maid outfit and just presents herself to Kobayashi, you know, Come on, Miss Kobayashi, face in the pillow, go like the clappers. But Kobayashi immediately just goes flaccid once Toru's maid outfit is out, and she's all like, I just... Uh, yeah, you're naked and all, it's nice, but made yeah, outfit was what got my motor running in the first place. Oh, I can I can put it back on if you want. No, 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 it's it's fine. You you ruined it. The moment's passed. You made it weird. So seven minutes of TV time later, Kobayashi's dick angle comes to a close. Gotta get that one out of the way fast. And like even they knew they were like, okay, okay, like, let's fucking it. like let's fucking move this along. Yeah, and in the manga it was only a single chapter, so it was short enough to begin with anyway. Right. So, but uh, interestingly enough, uh, in the manga, we actually got some more scenes with uh, Ilulu that we don't see in the anime. Like, one of which involves her uh, trying to get to Kobayashi through Kana, actually. Where she tried to uh, get her to cause some trouble, you know. She got in trouble for causing pranks, which got her sent to the human world. So she's like, hey, cause some trouble, we can get to Kobayashi this way. And she's like, no, I love Kobayashi. That's weird. You'd think, you'd think, the, you'd think there wouldn't be a whole lot in the manga to really cut out for, like, the anime. You'd think that, given now. Given how, like, given how, like, slick and easy, like, the whole experiences of reading it. Like, it's all very casual. You, th you wouldn't think of, like, having to cut stuff out of a casual experience. And funny enough, with uh, the anime and the manga, they actually kind of uh, shifted some things around between the two seasons, because uh, remember back in season one, we had the episode where we flashback to uh, Toru and Kobayashi's first meeting. Uh, that actually came after the Ululu stuff in the manga, so they uh, decided to do that first before getting to Ululu in season two. Mm, okay. So later that night, Ilulu is hunted down by Kremina, played here by Christopher Wakecamp, and uh, this dude's a dragon hunter from the Harmony faction, and Ilulu is his prey. So Kobayashi goes looking for Ilulu and runs into the situation. 
She tries to protect her from the hunter, but he manages to track them down and is set to deliver the killing blow to Ilulu, while also plans to uh, beat Kobayashi within an inch of her life. You know, he can't kill her, but you get he'll get pretty close as his plan. That is until... Here I come to save the day! Ah, the high-end dragon talent of Toru, as she comes in and proceeds to stomp this hunter's shit in. And that's also very quickly taken care of, like, gotten out of the way as well, too. Yeah, like, Toru sees uh, the hunter injure Miss Kobayashi, she just jumps in, grabs him by the throat, and then we just hear her beating the shit out of him off-screen. But then after that, I was all like, wait, are we now gonna have to, like, worry about hunters or something going forward? And then, I, I, and then the, quick, the series very quickly just swept it to the side. He's like, nah, don't worry about it. It's like, we're not, like, it's like, we're not about that, okay? It was just a one-time thing. You know, it's just to move the plot along. And, and his memories conveniently got wiped, too. Because <laughs> that magic also apparently exists. Yes, dragons can do any kind of Let's magic. get back to, like, the maid shit. <laughs> also, Toro takes the dude's uh, horn as a trophy. Right. <laughs> And around this time, we get a bit of the background on Ilulu as uh, she confesses to Kobayashi that she always wanted to ex- coexist with humans, but other dragons always dissuaded her, especially when her parents were actually killed by humans. Like, this is shown through flashbacks where she was a little kid playing with other little human kids, but uh, that eventually led to humans rising up against dragons kind of almost inadvertently, and she feels like she kind of blamed herself for that, so that's why she's shoved humans aside and wants to just enact revenge on them, take them down whenever she can. Okay, so yeah, now we're getting kind of the, the deal with with Alulu here, seeing what differentiates her from the others. Yeah, she always held this grudge, but deep, deep down, she always wanted to, like, fix that and become friends with humans again, and Kobayashi was able to bring that out of her, and, like, her life with Toru and all the other dragons shows that humans and dragons can coexist together, so, like, it's proof of that. And then Kobayashi and Alulu become friends, and she begins to live with them. So it's really sweet. And we get some nice bits of uh, Toru training Alulu to become more human. One of which involves uh, making hands, turning her claws into hands, but she can't get it right. She turns them into, like, these giant balls. That are made up of even smaller hands. Yeah, she's all like, It's like, oh, thank you, Alulu. I needed some nightmare material today. <laughs> it's great when she's, like, holding up a piece of paper with her little nubs, and Toru's all like, how are you doing that? And she's all like, oh, yeah, this ball is made up of tiny little hands. And we get a... Really, really detailed close-up of all these hands just curling around each other. She's like a Powerpuff girl. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how their hands work? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's 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 something that like, that uh, I guess McCracken never got to in that series. Yeah, those those little like uh, little ovals that make up their hand, their arms. They're actually just little hands on the tiny end. Yeah, you just put them under a microscope and then they just immediately reel away in fear. Just like, <laughs> what monsters are we? <laughs> And also, while uh, Toru's training her, we also get some uh, get some rules that dragons must follow. Like, whenever you're greeted, you always do the same greeting. Humans can't eat dragon tails. Also, sex. Toru wants to have it. That sort of thing. <laughs> but, you know, Alulu does kind of actually fit nice within this uh, Kobayashi family dynamic, you know? Like, I kind of see Kobayashi as the, uh, the head of the household table, you know, acknowledge her. Toru's the stay-at-home parent, homemaker... Kana's their perfect little daughter, and Ilulu, I kind of see her as, like, the slacker fail child of the family. Right, right, like the, 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 the kind of like the, te- like the older sister of the little found family they have here. Like, if Dragons had college, she would be a dropout, and she would just be mooching off her parents while being told to get off her ass and get a job. Right. And Toru definitely turns into the kind of parent that just rides their kid's ass to get a job or go back to school, while uh, Kobayashi's more easygoing and understanding. You know, just let just let her be, take her time. I know the job market sucks. 
But Tori's all like, no, Miss Kobayashi, you're baiting her. You gotta, gotta give her some tough love, you know? They find, like, yeah, the, 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 the author found a good way to, uh, found, found a good niche for her to, in, to exist in with this group. Yeah, and just, like, bounces off perfectly with uh, Kobayashi and Toru. So anyway, after that, uh, Kana, we gotta get some Kana adventures here, as she has a play date with Saikoa, as uh, Saikoa wants to put the emphasis on date right here. <laughs> Though Lulu joins in as a third wheel, much to Saikoa's dismay. But uh, Lulu, she actually just, she wants to play. She wants to have some fun with uh, these kids right here, but uh, she's just actually pretty shy. Because again, didn't have a childhood or anything. No. Had some human friends, but they all died. And surprisingly, she's not weirded out by uh, Saikoa and how when they, when she and Kana play cards, anytime she loses, she gets to rub Kana's belly. Just freaks the fuck out. In case you forgot, Saikoa's super squishy over Kana. Yep, she's gay as shit. Remember, dragon style. Yes. And soon after that, we get another guest. It's Lukawa! Uh, Lukawa, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. She's welcome here anytime. And she notices Ilulu's shyness and decides to help her get close to Kana and Saikawa. And she does this by having Ilulu wait in the bathroom while she casts a spell on Saikawa that makes her need to pee. <laughs> then locks the both of them in the bathroom so they can talk. And the chat is actually pretty sweet, you know, Lulu talking about how she wants to make friends but can't, and Saikoa being inviting, it's really sweet, but the setup is just so weird. Shouldn't she be, like, ripping a fat piss during this whole conversation? (laughs) (laughs) Just, like, a a thick stream into the toilet, like, this whole time. She's just, just like, blasting over the conversation. Just Saikoa on the toilet while having this sweet conversation, and you just hear it fucking weird. Like, this series does... I would say bizarre wholesomeness really well. Like scenes where it's like, oh, that's sweet, but then you're like, wait, that's kind of weird. Oh yeah, that's that that's the, that's that's what happens a lot in the series. But that's also kind of like the charm of Dragon Maid, where it's like so off, but like so kind and sweet. It's fifty fifty. It's fifty fifty in, in my for me. Yeah, but oh, Lulu just wants to make friends. So yeah, let's just trap her in the bathroom with Psycho. He still needs to pee until they become best buddies. And Saikuo really wants to be friends with Ilulu. Like, we brought it up in the season one episode. Someone this young shouldn't be getting this squishy and horny over like eh, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, good that she knows who she likes and what she likes at a young age, but it's like... Tone it, tone it down. Reel it in, girl. Reel it bring in. Bring it down. Bring it down. She's all like, you're really cute, Ilulu. You, 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 you want to be friends with me? Because I, I really want to be friends with you, too. Mm. <laughs> and also, I just gotta say, combine... This, her reaction to both Ilulu and Kana, and how she also gives them both belly rubs, too. I'm expecting Saikawa to grow up with some weird fetishes when she's older. <laughs> oh, what, she already doesn't? Nah, it gets even weirder. Yeah. <laughs> Not gonna kink shame. Ilulu has a wonderful time with her new friends, and the shot of all of them huddled together sleeping was just kind of melt-your-heart-adorable. Oh, sometime later, Toru gathers the entire gang together to make a maid outfit for Kobayashi. And this is one of the first times we get to see the whole uh, Dragon Maid crew together. And do you think Kobayashi looks at her inner circle right here and thinks to herself, These are my friends? Really? (laughs) These guys? I mean, someone as normal as her surrounded by the biggest group of weirdos you can probably find in this town. Big ol', just a big ol', like, horde of dragons here. Horde of dragons, a girl who thinks she's a maid, her nerdy co-worker. A little mage boy. And, like, all these little kids running around, too, like... You gotta, you gotta take a step back and, like, take stock in life. Kobayashi, like, has a birthday or whatever, and she she's looking around going all like, 
wow, this is it. This is everyone. Oh, and also during this, we get a cute subplot of all the little kids uh, playing Monopoly. That's, of course, uh, Kana, Saikawa, Lulu, and... Show to baby, it's our little boy. Hey, Shota. Who is actually sporting a new actor this season, now being played by Macy Ann Johnson? Ah, uh, why does uh, Shota have a new actor, you may ask? Well, it might have something to do with the fact that his original VA loudly and proudly eh, expressed her support of the January 6th insurrection as it was happening. <laughs> On top of also being a COVID denier. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. Now, did, did you have that on your 2021 bingo card? Uh, but yeah, it got rightfully called out and dunked on by both fans and colleagues, deleted her Twitter, and retired from voice acting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow, what a way to commit career suicide right there. Fuck around and find out protocol in full effect here. Well, this will be a good idea. <laughs> this will be a good idea. I'll find support for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you won't just out me as a, just a huge, massive piece of shit. Yeah, like, it felt like it was building and building, and then that day in January, just saw like, Fuck it, I'm a huge asshole. I'll make so many friends after this. <laughs> so many red hat friends. Everyone will love me. <laughs> Mr. Q will love me too. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, if only I could join them, then I could get a full pardon from President Trump. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so it goes. <laughs> Couldn't have happened to a nicer woman. Uh. <laughs> Anyway, she got the boot, and Macy Ann Johnson is in, and she does a wonderful job as our little Shota baby. Oh yeah, she sounds great as Shota. Makes him sound even cuter, and like, I can rest easy at night knowing that our boy's no longer being played by a weird fascist. Yeah, sounds sounds great right now. <laughs> sounds great. I, I love her, and uh, I, I want to hear more of her in like, some stuff. I only heard her in some a few things right now. Yeah, I would like to hear her around a little bit here and there more these days. Anyway, the uh, Monopoly subplot is cute, and it's nice to see the entire uh, kid group get together. And I love that uh, it's mostly Shota just dominating the entire game until Saikawa just gives all of her money and assets to Kana, which gives her the win. More like not pulley, because it looks like a legally distinct Monopoly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got Duopoly, Rasta Monopoly, Edna Krabopoly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, back to maid outfits, as everyone throws around ideas, but none of them stick. That is until Toru suggests that Kobayashi wear her maid outfit, and Kobayashi actually pulls it off really well. You know, she felt good in that outfit, and earlier in her life, she never f felt that she could pull it off, which is why she just started wearing plain, mostly, like, men's clothing for the rest of her life. Yeah, she looks very nice in them. But she felt cute, and actually helped her confidence a bit, and it's actually really, really sweet to see. Hey, nice of y'all to do. Yeah. And also they get a picture together and it just, the shot of both of them in the same outfit, Toru and Kobayashi, is actually really nice. <laughs> Later on, Toru looks for a hobby. And nothing seems to stick until Kana tells her about idols as how they're all the rage nowadays. You know what's even better than idols? School idols. <laughs> Especially ones trying to save their schools from closing down and winning big idol competitions at the Tokyo Dome. I kind of imagine like you were kind of hoping it would go towards that. <laughs> <laughs> they all just get into love live right now. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, it fits, you know. Both uh, Kana and Toru's actors were in Love Life Sunshine. You think you'd see? Yeah, you'd think you'd see more references in like other anime towards like specifically like school idols, even if it's like legally distinct school legally idols. Distinct. 
Yeah. Just given how popular it is. Or do you even know what's better than school idols? Zombie idols. Mmm, true. Especially when they have to save an entire prefecture from all kinds of disasters. Though I will admit, I don't know a lot about, like, actual, real-world, like, currently active idols. Like, the only ones I know are, like, fictional characters. The only idols I really know are, kind of relates to mostly Love Live, where it's, like, the actual Seiyu playing them, because they're also professional musicians and artists. Yes, but what about, yeah, but I'd like to know more about, I would kind of like to be informed of, like, some idols that, like, don't have any adaptions otherwise. Yeah. They just stand as their own. I would like to see that. As Idol X. Because they existed before these idol shows. Like, it would be interesting to know, like, what what were the big, what were the, what have been the big ones over history that had no media outside of, like, them as musicians? I mean, I know there's the group AKB48, which is, like, a big idol group, but then they got an anime adaptation, so that probably takes them out of that conversation. I don't, I don't know necessarily. Like, so long as they existed before the adaptation, they did exist before as their yeah, own. Yeah, like, yeah. that's fine. Yep. Yeah, but there's plenty of others. But yeah, I don't care about them. I only care about my 2D idols. <laughs> I guess there'll have to be some extra research for me. Yeah, and I guess of course there's uh, Fauna, the uh, singer who does the uh, openings for both season one and season two. Yeah, that's something. Oh, funnily enough, because uh, Toru gets motivated into idols, and uh, she's actually watching. The music video for the season one opening on TV. Like, actually, <laughs> like, this here, animated by KyoAni, so, like, that's anime fauna right there on TV. Oh, that's 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 kind of a nice little thing they threw in there. Though, Toru getting into idols is just her idolizing Kobayashi. <laughs> this includes singing beautiful songs about her and making all kinds of merch. Like, it all still, in the end, goes back to Kobayashi. Hey, Kana, what's up? Please come home right away. Lady Toru's completely lost it. She what? What's going on? Kobayashi merch and forcing us to like them. She also just won't stop singing songs about you. Kobayashi! Having hobbies is so much fun! Uh, my drinking hobby makes me act the same way, so I got nothing. Kana calls up Kobayashi says, like, Lady Toru's got nuts, runs home, and just hears Toru singing the song while the entire apartment is just filled with figures, dolls, and paintings of Kobayashi all over the place. You'd have think she, you would have to think that she drank five Red Bulls in, one in like, one go. You'd think she is. And you just her on a microphone going, Love, kiss, lick, kiss, love, kiss, lick, kiss, I love Miss Kobayashi. <laughs> Did you notice that one of the dolls in the background sitting on the couch was life-sized? Did Toru make a sex doll of Kobayashi? Like a, like a, made, like a big real doll of Kobayashi. Yeah. <laughs> like, just... Sitting on the ba- in the background in the couch, just kind of lounging. Oh, I'm sure that very quickly went in the trash afterwards. Yeah. Like, Toru's all like, oh, can I keep most of this? And she's like, no. No, the Kobe, the, the me real doll goes in the trash. In the trash, right now. Put it in the burnable trash. And I do love that the credits for that episode actually plays the full version of uh, what the song that Toru was singing. <laughs> as a montage of, like, all her and Kobayashi's moments are played over the credits. <laughs> Uh, you know what the best thing is about uh, second seasons is that uh, most of the main cast has already been established. You know, you don't have to take that time introducing them, getting over their characters, you know, something that the uh, previous season did. But uh, for this second season, we don't have to take that time. We can just get right into all their adventures right here. Yes, absolutely. My point being is that in season two, we get so much more Elma than we did in season one. 
As we get to haul ass and get to the Elma stuff. As uh, she challenges Kobayashi to a duel at work. According to Toru, Elma has a bit of a competitive streak to her. You know, she can't turn down a challenge or turn down challenging someone else. She needs a good enemy in her life, an antagonist. And they plan to see who can finish most of uh, Takia's coding work in a single day. But in the end, it turns out the whole point of this uh, competition was brought on by a big misunderstanding as Takia called uh, Kobayashi one of the four pillows of the company. And uh, in the dragon world, pillars are often seen as uh, humans being sacrificed for the sake of society. And Elva didn't want to see Kobayashi sacrifice herself, so she planned on taking that burden onto herself. Pretty noble, but you're kind of being an idiot here, Elma. <laughs> and it ends with uh, Elma going out for drinks with uh, Kobayashi and Takia, but then she has to deal with uh, their drunken maid talk. <laughs> Just dr- getting drunkenly ranted at by your friends. <laughs> What's the deal with your glasses? Well, oh, do you need to wear those? While you're just trying to enjoy your Sapporo. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I hate it here. <laughs> uh, but then later on, Toru gets enlisted in the uh, Neighborhood Watch in a segment I like to call Toru the Vigilante. <laughs> you know, push people around, make yourself feel big, that sort of thing. And uh, Toru gets a super cute new outfit here, which is nice. But it's mainly just Toru chasing down, running off some hooligans with just her pinky finger. Like, uh, she runs into some goons in the alleyway. And she's all like, hey, move it along, we need people to walk here. And the guy's all like, oh, you're trying to pick a fight with me? And then she just pulls out her pinky and just jabs him in the, in the stomach. Just takes him out quickly. <laughs> and then Elma joins in on this, and she is just being a total Girl Scout at this point. <laughs> She's like, you're on the side of good? I, this is amazing. Uh, you want to join the Harmony Faction? Oh, this is perfect. Like, we could, we can. I knew you'd together. come around after all this time. Yeah. <laughs> but then it just ends with her just hassling a bunch of kids, trying to cross the, cross the crosswalk when it's like red light or whatever. Just making them cry. <laughs> And then the hooligans return in larger numbers. Toru proceeds to just juggle their boss's ass with, like, one single punch repeatedly and repeatedly. <laughs> and then just destroys all of them. The town just all of a sudden gets a gang presence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this little gag. Like, you don't see him running around, but it's just all like, man, this town's actually kind of dangerous when you think about it. <laughs> uh, but then uh, Toru just beats some respect into them. And then, like, the very next day, they're all like, Ah, good day, Miss Toru. How are you doing today? Hopefully not causing any trouble. We're not causing any trouble. Please don't hurt us. You should have had, like, a Yakuza title card come up, like, (laughs) Toru, (laughs) the dragon of the Kobayashi family. (laughs) (laughs) Dom, (laughs) dom. Oh, she can get, like, the rest of the dragons together, form their own Yakuza group, and they can go fight, like, the New Japan wrestlers or something. (laughs) She has a side quest with uh, Kiryu. (laughs) Yeah. They gotta go get some uh, food for a little doggy. <laughs> oh, and uh, then after that, we get some fun little uh, theme park adventures with uh, Toru Kobayashi and the kids. As uh, Kobayashi teaches Toru about s- certain rides, you know, why people love little teacup rides, why people love going into ha- haunted houses and all that. The rest of it's also just Saikawa trying not to love Gasm over Kana and Ilulu, trying to keep, trying to control herself a bit. I actually really liked uh, having Georgie around here, too, and caught in, like, just theme park costume, yeah, mascot costume. Yeah, just working at the theme park and also her trying to play, like, wingman for Saikawa. She's an underrated character in the series. She really is. She's very sweet and relatively normal compared to the others. Yeah. Though her 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 maid her maid knowledge uh, I think uh, <laughs> gets in the gets in the way of some things, which causes some makes for some good humor. There is, like, one great bit where I think it's, like, at the end of this episode where she's actually in school and people are trying to talk to her. 
using her actual name, and then they're like, uh, Georgie, and she's like, yes, you need some help? <laughs> and I almost, I know, because I almost didn't even recognize her to begin with yeah. <laughs> when I saw her there. <laughs> but no, it's actually kind of her nice helping out her little sister here, you know, getting into, like, shark costumes and, like, other mascot outfits, giving them candy and everything. Yeah, that was very adorable. And also there was, like, a great bit here where, like, Saika was trying not to let out one of her screams. She holds it in, and then Ilulu and kind of just start licking her cheeks in order to her to get her to scream. Like it's just like, no, we want to hear it. We want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then after that, we get a get a little bit of the background on uh, Toru and Elma as we uh, get their backstory here. Yeah, that was kind of big. That was kind of big to see here. Yeah, it turns out that uh, they always didn't want to kill each other. In fact, you can say they were actually friends at one point. Like, what do you think of this? I mean, yeah, it was nice to see, you know, see these two uh, get flushed out a little bit more, especially since we hadn't really, like, seen it beforehand, like, what their really big deal was or what really drove a wedge between them. Yeah, because in, uh, in Season 1, all we really had to go upon is uh, the fact that they're from different factions, so they're obviously got to be rivals there, but there's they actually do add something more to the relationship here, as Elma was uh, worshipped as a god by the humans in their world, as she would always intervene when there's any conflicts, and Toru doesn't understand, like, why someone like her would care so much about humans. And Elma doesn't understand why a chaos dragon like Toru is currently living amongst the humans and not causing any chaos, so they got together in order to just really understand each other, and, and it's actually kind of nice to see them bond a little bit here. Right, right. Not It's to see a time when they weren't at each other's throats so much. Like, actually, some sweet moments were, like, they're sleeping in a cave, and Elma's kind of, like, huddled up against Toru, and Toru kind of pulls her in a little bit like yeah, it's very sweet. cute sisterly stuff yeah. or like elma like having a little plate of food and then tossing one over to toru and toru just no look catching it ultimately they just couldn't look past their differences and they just ended up fighting and what a fight they had in in their dragon forms just leveling an entire city like i mean that's cool that's like. just always cool to see <laughs> It's it's so gorgeous. It looked pretty sweet. And I love Elmo's uh, dragon design where she's like a big serpent dragon too. Ends with both of them doing fire blasts in each other's mouths. That that was kind of badass. By the way, I know this is a serious fight and all, but uh, and I know they're in the dragon forms, but uh, Toro and Elma, they totally kissed right there. I mean, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> dragon kissed, but still. But I'm glad they kind of gave us this backstory, you know. It, they could have just left it at, they're from separate factions, therefore they hate each other, but they actually had to, they expanded on it more. I thought that was really great. Yeah, yeah, it was well needed for these two. And it's almost kind of sad seeing as, like, if only things were different between the two, they could have been, they could have stayed good friends, but didn't happen that way. This wasn't on the cards. And it does fit in with a bit of a theme that the series is kind of going with, where, like, people from, like, different, like, walks of life just getting together and, like, living together perfectly. Yeah, and expand each other's minds through your... Other experience through other experiences, you know, deep connections. Despite how society has trained them to uh, feel about those differences. Anyway, Toru wants uh, Lulu to get off her uh, lazy dragon ass and get a job right here afterwards. And I love that how they did a Lulu here, where she starts off like from the first appearance, she's like this intimidating force, this dragon. And then as soon as she starts to live with like Kobayashi and everyone, she's just just this little kid. Also, like actually being afraid of Toru when she goes into like strict parent mode right here. It's like, oh, come on, can't, can't I just wait another couple thousand years? No, you're not on Dragon Time anymore. You're getting a job. It's time to join the workforce, honey. Those who don't work, don't eat. So uh, what job fit, best fits Ilulu? How about a Dagashi shop right here? And between the show and uh, another show, Dagashikashi, these kind of places always look so nice and quaint. Yeah, they do look really quaint. I mean, th at the end of the day, they're basically just candy stores. Yep, just a little mom-and-pop candy stores that also have, like, little games around, and also a lot of the candy 
in uh, snacks tend to have like little gimmicks to them, which is like really cool too. But, but they're they always come across as like charming little places where like kids can go and congregate and just like spend like whatever money they have on these cute little trinkets and stuff. Yeah, like if I were a kid, I would totally hang out here after school. Absolutely, they look so they look quite fun. Spending all my allowance money on different kinds of snacks and trying to get like different kinds of prizes to show my friends. A little kitty hangout spot, like that's 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 cute to see. It is. And it's run by, like, the sweetest old lady I've ever se- I've seen in, like, an anime in a while. She's so nice. I don't know what it was, but I saw the nice old lady who ran that place, and I was like, I want more of her. I want to support her business. Like, I want to see, like, she looks so dang sweet. <laughs> so, it's such an adorable little lady. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, she needs some extra help because she hurt her leg while walking that morning, and so, like... I want to help you. You seem nice. Well, come along here, Lulu. How are you <laughs> And she isn't alone, as she's also joined by the uh, the shop owner's grandson. Introducing Takito Ida, played here by Jordan Cruz. And as expected, Take here gets uh, super embarrassed over Ilulu's appearance. Like, we gotta get those jokes in. Because, of course, she, like, she lies. Because, of course, she, like, lies and stuff. And says, like, oh, I'm 16. I'm around the area. And he's all like, what? I've never seen you around here. Like, <laughs> And, of course, he can't ignore what's down there right <laughs> i gotta hand it to jordan cruz for pulling off the high-pitched screams and yelps that take does when he's around a lulu like he it's important for the role and he and he pulls it off quite well <sighs> hmm? what's wrong take i feel bad for my grandma she hurt her leg are you stuck helping out no apparently she hired someone but she wants me to go by and train them for her wow I'm impressed she agreed to hire someone outside the family. Yeah, she asked me to bring a uniform over today. But check it out, it's huge. I mean, it looks big enough to fit an adult man. So it bothers you that she hired a guy? That's weird. I don't know where she could have met this dude. He better not be some psychopath. That's Granny's little warrior. Shut up. This is weird. What the heck are they like? Good afternoon. That's why it's an adult size. Crazy. Ida's grandson? I'm Takito, yeah. I'm a Lulu. I'm 16. That's what I'm uh, supposed to say. The same age. Your name. Are you a transfer student? How did you meet my grandma? I met her here when I asked if I could work for her, and then she hired me. She didn't even think it over? This is suspicious. She's gotta have some ulterior motive for wanting to work here so urgently. So, how can I help you today? Oh, right. This is yours. A uniform and apron. Things to wear. Fun! Ah! Cut it out! What's wrong with you, you perv? Oh, that's right. I forgot. You naughty boy. Ah! If you're sorry, keep your shirt on! You're all changing in the back! Oh, right, I understand. What the heck was that? Is she from a country with that kind of culture? I don't wanna go there. Hey, Takito? Just Take's fine. What's the matter? I can't get the buttons on top to close. It's fine. You're fine. No one will notice. Oh, I get it. You're a pervert, huh? <gasps> What'd you call me? You're staring. <gasps> no, I'm not. They're in the way. I'll be in back. Let me know if there's anything you don't understand. She's a whole new breed of weirdo. I'm surprised Grandma decided to hire such a bizarre person. She makes less sense than someone with ulterior motives, and it's scary. Does she even know what she's doing? And uh, Lulu actually seems to be doing well at the shop. She, like, takes to it really easily. And she's great with kids. 
And this is the point in the series where they actually kayfabe Ilulu's watermelons here. Where, like, a little girl's all like, hey, how can you have those big watermelons? And then she's all like, oh, they're flame sacks. Wanna touch them? And then, and then there's awkward jokes, yeah. Yeah. But I like that they do try to kayfabe it. Like, it actually kind of makes it even funnier. Well, like, even when she does breath attacks before, you can see you can see her, like, just her tits, like, fucking flare up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And they do explain it also that, uh, you know, dragons do have the ability to change their appearance, but uh, she doesn't have enough power to change her breasts like that. Like, it's just something you can adjust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Though, honestly, her flame sacks aren't the funniest part about her design. The thing I think is the funniest part of Lulu's design, especially when she's in her uh, work outfit here, is that uh, she wears Crocs. Like she... Oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, she wears Crocs. Oh, well, like, well, ah, but they're so airy. So it was like... (laughs) And good good for outdoor work. But they're like the stupidest looking shoes ever that they're so funny. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They really are. They're like, yeah, no, she just wears Crocs every day. Like, like, when I first saw that, I was just all like, really? She's wearing Crocs? That's amazing. I mean, hey, nobody ever said she had taste. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I, I love that little detail of her design. Like, everyone's focusing on the flame sex, but I'm just all like, no, she's wearing Crocs, and that's amazing. <laughs> and like with many of the other uh, dragon-human uh, friendships, relationships in the series, uh, Taki and, Lu- and Alulu is kind of another fun one. I do like their scenes together. They're a, they're a fun duo. Yeah, they're very cute together. I, w- I do wish that the season did have enough time to show more of them, because he does come in a bit late in the game, and yeah. we don't get much of him. But, like, yeah, there's always the future. Yeah, there is. But uh, moving on from that, uh, we get one that's all about Shota, baby! As he's uh, trying to get Luka to stop uh, bothering him and, you know, give him space to become a man, big adult man. Oh, that's adorable. He wants to be a big man. He thinks he's so tough. Aww. <laughs> and all of his attempts to do something to Luka, you know, get back at her, are just the cutest thing. Where it's like, get her to wear clothes because she doesn't like wearing clothes, but then it rips and then she embarrasses him even more. Or he's all like, I'm going to give you this coffee and it's going to be too bitter for you. Oh, no, wait, it's too bitter for me. I'll bring her by that scary, do- that dog that scares me every day with its barks. And then, like, he called- And he gets freaks out by the barks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, why Why am I the only one scared of this dog? He's, he's so fucking cute. I love him. <laughs> uh, he's a little goober. Just these little kid attempts to get back at Lukawa are just amazing, like, you know, he tries to be tough, he tries to be a big mage boy, but it's like, deep down, he's still a little kid. <laughs> but then we actually do get a sweet scene between Luku and Shoto, where Lukua tells him that uh, she does have a weakness, because he was looking for a weakness of hers. And her weakness is being afraid of losing her home, because of her past, and how she lost her first home, which is the story of Quetzalcoatl. And now she's grateful for Shota for summoning her in the first place. She now has a place to live, a place where she actually belongs, and it's really nice and even though she does mess and tease him, she does genuinely and sincerely care about Shota and his family. Oh yeah, that that was that was without da- without a doubt. You know, kid, I would have told you my weakness if you had just asked. Huh? The thought that truly terrifies me the most is having my home taken away. I once made a huge mistake, you know, and I was driven out of my homeland. It really broke me down. Ever since then, I've been afraid of settling in one place. One day, a friend who I thought would never have a home found one for herself somehow. I admit, it made me kind of jealous. And that's why you came to me? But 
Why me? Because you're the one who invited me in. You're the first one to ask me to stay. I can't tell you how happy it made me to hear that. Yeah, but I asked you as a familiar. Honestly, I know I'm not a good match. You're incredible at what you do. And I'm not nearly experienced enough yet. That's true. I'm a phenomenal familiar, which is why I could read you at first glance. You're a good boy with a kind heart who works hard, even to the point of overextending yourself. Seeing that was good enough for me. Thank you. <laughs> Such a cutie. Whatever. I really wish she'd stop treating me like a helpless infant. Yeah, like, I know a lot of people do kind of have a problem with their relationship, and I can totally understand that. But, oh, yeah, I do, too. But it's, like, there is heart there. Like, fitting in with Dragon Maid's weird, bizarre wholesomeness. Like, it's right there. There is actually care between the two. Yeah. Uh, but meanwhile, we have a little Takia and Fafnir adventure here, as uh, Takia has his parents visiting his apartment, but uh, he wants Fafnir to uh, leave the place for a little bit, but he refuses because he's too busy playing one of his games. Of, of course. Yeah. <laughs> So, consulting with Shota, Takia obtains a little magic orb to force uh, Fafnir into a contract. Because uh, they already started it off a bit with uh, Fafnir allowing Takia to call him uh, Fafkun, you know, give him a nickname. You just need to take the orb and now we can tell him what to do, but Fafnir's all like, I'm still not moving. <laughs> I kind of wanted more out of that scene, though. That one kind of like, that scene, that, that moment between the two kind of fizzled out for me. A little bit, yeah. I wanted to actually see the parents, like, come by and, and see that little interaction. That would be amazing. But yeah, like, yeah, it just kind of fizzles out afterwards. It's just like, oh, yeah, and it just happened off screen. Yeah, but it does go to show that uh, Fafnir is actually kind of loosening it up a little bit. You know, maybe the orb didn't work. But... I mean, it was it was fine, but I, I I wanted I wanted more out of that. Yeah, like that that's a good funny scenario that should have been shown. Like a meet the parents situation right here. Yeah, that would have been really funny. Hey, but, mom and but dad. they just they, they just don't. Yeah. Hey, mom and dad, meet my new uh, dragon roommate right here. His name's Fafnir. He wears a butler outfit. He doesn't talk much. Also, you shouldn't look him directly in the eye. Also, he's a hoarder, and if you feel any murderous intent, don't worry, that's normal around him. And God forbid if the power goes out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then the next day, uh, Khan and Saika will have uh, fun, cute little adventures where they uh, go on a trip to see where the rivers meet. And it's all so super sweet, and Saika is just fun being super gay. And Even Elma makes a surprise appearance. Yeah, they run into Elma bathing in the river while still in her dragon form because she forgot to turn on her clairvoyance. And I have to keep it reminding myself here too that Sayako doesn't like know anything about the dragon shit either. Yeah, like at this moment when I first watched this, I was all like, oh yeah, she doesn't know about the dragon stuff. And then Kana has to like play defense like, nope, nope, no dragons here. You didn't, you didn't, you're not seeing anything, none whatsoever. No, Sayako, it was like a CG. Like, <laughs> like AR a, graphics. Like a CG. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're like uh, Becky Lynch's big scary AR graphics. It's fake and it can't hurt you, but it will haunt your nightmares. <laughs> but no, I do like, the, I do love anytime these two get together. And I did like the scene where they're eating lunch and Saika was just desperately trying to get an indirect kiss from Kana. Mm -hmm. Where she's like, Oh no, I dropped my fork. Can I borrow your chopsticks, kind of? Oh, I got a spare. The the innocent the innocent little kid moments, like, they go pretty far in this they series. <laughs> Alright, we're at the halfway point of the show, so we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back with the rest of Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid Season 2. Come on now, get on your feet. We're gonna sing some songs and shake to the
Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid Season 2. While we don't do another uh, Kamiket episode like we did in uh, Season 1, we do have one that's uh, at least kind of adjacent to uh, the whole Kamiket comic convention sort of thing. Yeah, it's tangentially related. As uh, Fafnir calls in uh, Lukewell for help with the uh, doujinshi manga that he's putting together, you know, he decided to uh, jump on that bandwagon when the uh, his Book of Curses in Season 1 didn't work, work out so well. <laughs> and it's actually kind of neat to see these two of all people, actually hanging out a bit. And uh, Luca has been brought into model because, uh, as Fafnir put it, she's erotic and vulgar. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, she'll sell well at Comic-Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Fafnir's putting together a uh, story that is just literally Shota and Luca's relationship in a nutshell, really. But it's put within, like, a, what, like, horror context? Yeah, horror, almost, like, Jinji Ito-esque context right here. Yeah, kind of like a horror arrow-like kind of work or something. Very odd. Where, like, a little boy's being harassed by this woman, and then he just places curses upon her, and then that's just most of the story right there. <laughs> and funnily enough, Lukawa sympathizes with the little boy. She's all like, ah, oh, this woman's just so awful. Why is she doing this stuff to him? It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's you. It's like, that's the point, Lukawa. That's the point. So, all right, Lukawa, time to do all these intense curse poses. And she's like, oh, like this? Uh, I'm dying. He's like, no, do, do these poses where it's just all like, okay, now twist your head around 360 degrees and rip out your own chest. Okay, now split your arms apart and make it like you're falling down the stairs. And trust us, you want this to be implied off screen. <laughs> I do like how they cut to stuff in and around the apartment that kind of gets the idea. Oh yeah, they still they, they still get the they still get the idea off. You know, like split your chest in, into three halves and then we see like a bowl of peaches. Like crawl down backwards down a staircase and then you see like a cover for like what the ring or something. Ring or exorcist. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, eventually after that uh Lukawa then gets the idea to uh join in on the uh the comic convention and she just sells books of her cosplay pictures. <laughs> And I love her title for them. That It just says, Huge Melons. <laughs> you know, it's just all like, yep, you, you get what you get. Huge Melons. You get sold out. <laughs> While Fafnir gets absolutely nothing, too. <laughs> and then after that, we get some uh, little fun little kid adventures more with uh, Kana and Saikawa and uh, three other kids from their class as they investigate ghosts in and around the school. This this was actually kind of nice to see, just to see them interact with, like, other kids. They're, they're like, you know, like, they're wider, like, class. I do like these kind of stories where it's just a bunch of kids getting together and they just, they hear rumors and mysteries about their own school and they just go after school to just investigate it all. I, I always kind of dig stories like that. It, it feels like more just, like, regular, like, kid socializing, and that was that was very refreshing to see. And also the whole mystery aspect, kind of, uh, it gives me vibes of uh, another Kyoni show, Hyoka, where it is just also mm. a bunch of kids, like, solving mysteries in around school. Right, right. It's a very innocent kid little thing, like, oh, we're gonna go around the school and, like, see if we can investigate a ghost that might be in the uh, art room. But also as they explore the school, like, not only just looking for ghosts and whatever, they just play fun little kid games, too. Yeah, they just fart around and, like, play games. They, like, kick around, they, like, kick around, like, a, they just kick around stuff and, like, a little improv games. And at uh, one point, they run into a bunch of, like, older kids after school, and I was hoping, the first time I saw this, I was hoping that uh, 
Saikawa would do, like, what she did in Season 1 and just start shit-talking them and hassling them and then challenging them to a game of, like, dodgeball or whatever. But now it's just like, oh, come on, I, w- I want to see her being all feisty and trying to act all big and tough in front of these older kids. <laughs> but the kids end their search when they learn that the noise that uh, was causing all the ghost rumors was actually just a broken window. However, Kana notices the true culprit right here, as it was actually a fairy that got stuck in the uh, human world right here. <laughs> a strange, we got fairies now! A strange, buff-looking fairy right here, <laughs> played by Sunny Straight. Yeah, straight from fairy world. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I just got trapped in here, and uh, I got stuck in this room. I was just clawing my way out, trying to get someone's attention. It was weird, but I wanted to see more of that guy. <laughs> what are fairies like in this world? Yeah, I want to see more of this little strong fairy. Do they want grant wishes for kids? Yeah. <laughs> kids who have uh, terrible babysitters? Do they follow the rules? <laughs> Is there a fairy world? I had I had a lot of questions for that fairy, but unfortunately he wanted to get back home. And also, you know, like, there's a lot of dragons in this world, so it seems like uh, this fairy kind of came in through some of the residual portals that these dragons took. Which makes me think, are there more creatures like this running around the human world that just came in whenever Toru or Elma or Lukua just go back and forth from their world? Yeah, who else out there in that in that fantasy realm just takes a casual stroll through the human world? You know, is Cthulhu walking, wandering around or something like that? Or are we seeing, like, eight, uh, like, yetis and all that stuff, too? Yeah, I'd like to see more of that in the future. And soon after that, uh, do you know what day it is? It's Father's Day! Hey! As uh, Shota Baby is looking to be the best son ever and get his dad a gift. And, you know, nothing beats a homemade gift from the heart. And, of course, being a uh, talisman, as what else do you get your alchemist mage father here? But, ah, what a, what a good boy doing something nice for his dear old dad. You know, after, like, 15 blow-ups in his face. Yes. <laughs> Though, of course, we can't go one minute without Lukua making it weird. When uh, Shoto's talking about Father's Day, she thinks he's uh, talking about a different holiday. A holiday called Tits Day. Like, what? Like, this this guy kind of threw me off. Uh, like, uh, the, the misunderstanding is much more clear in Japanese. Ah, uh, oh, that's what I figured. Because uh, in Japanese, like, there are different words for a uh, father, like we know Otosan. But another word is uh, Chichi, which uh, Shota calls his dad in that scene. Right, right. But also, uh, Chichi can mean boobs. So that's where the confusion comes from. Yeah, that, that, that was totally lost on me. Also, Chi-Chi's the name of Goku's wife. <laughs> I hope that wasn't intentional. I mean, I don't know. Maybe with Toriyama, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Your general wife, boobs. <laughs> well, have you seen what he names the other characters in this series? Yeah, you know, named after vegetables and fruits and stuff. Briefs. Briefs, Kakarot. <laughs> <laughs> Though the dub... Does at least try to cover up this, where uh, Shota says Dad's Day, and then Lukua mishears it as Tat's Day. So, I I knew it would be an untranslatable joke. Yeah, yeah, it really didn't. But, yeah, by the way, how do you celebrate Tit's Day? Like, what is that? How does that work? Yeah, like, it's it's like, Lukua, you're really reaching for a joke here. You gotta workshop (laughs) that one. Like, do you spend an entire day just looking at boobs, going on like, oh, yeah, that's, those are nice. Those are nice. You just appreciate them for a whole day? I like them. Those are very good. But after several failed attempts, uh, our baby boy does it, and he completes the talisman for his pops, and uh, his dad commends him for a good job. 
we didn't get too much of it in uh, season one, but it's actually really nice to see Shota actually flex his uh, magic muscles right here, seeing him actually cast some spells here. Yeah, like, I kind of, that's one thing I also wanted more in the next season. And he's growing as a mage. Like, I, w- I was super proud of him when he pulled out the talisman, saying, all like, I did it, I did it, and he's showing it to Lukua. Like, yeah, he does, I, he does, he does, he does, he does uh, explore his magical skills a little bit more in the season. Yeah, it does, and we see more of that later on as the season goes on. Truly, this was the greatest tits day ever. God breast us, everyone. <laughs> the jugs we found. The jugs we found. <laughs> we carry with us, so we're never quite alone. <laughs> uh, but then after that, we get a couple more sweet stories here. Uh, first one is uh, Toru literally traveling to the ends of the earth to find a cure for Kobayashi's common cold. Like, she's really worried because she's actually seen, like, villages and nations class from viruses so like she doesn't want that to happen to miss kobayashi right here you know we all know that toru is seriously thirsty for miss kobayashi but it is all 100 percent genuine and sincere like she absolutely loves her like no one else and she's willing to go through all these lengths to like make sure she's all right if only she had just been told about nyquil ahead of yes. time <laughs> but also she does like some other attempts where she just makes like a weird mixture of like gruel to like feed kobayashi well, yeah because she hears that like because she i think she hears from elma like yeah when a, when a human is sick they should uh, eat something that's highly digestible so she just takes every every item in the house that looks or seems easily digestible and throws it into a big bowl thinking that'll work it's like here you go miss kobayashi what is it is it alive <laughs> <laughs> but credit to kobayashi she does eat it she does eat it all clean play club and uh, eventually Toru does go back to the dragon world and uh, find some medicine that actually does hope to work to help cure Miss Kobayashi. And even if it didn't work, Kobayashi, just seeing how happy Toru is to see her take that medicine that she went through all that effort to, is actually the best medicine in the world, even if it doesn't work. Even if it just, even if it turns Kobayashi into a cat girl. <laughs> it's, yeah, it turns her into a cat girl, and she's like, Toru, what the hell is this? It's like, oh yeah, I, I found this medicine that usually uh, beast people eat. Yeah, there might be some side effects. You might you might crave catnip for a little while. There's even a scene where uh, Kana has like a little cat toy and Kobayashi's playing with it. Yeah, you'll be you'll be easily amused by uh, wispy little objects. If you see a red dot, you have to chase after it. Like I can just picture uh, Kana with like a laser pointer and Kobayashi's going like, "What is that? I never seen that dot before. Uh, it moved. <laughs> where, where where are you? Where is that? Where's that? Ha, got gotcha. you. Wait, I don't got gotcha. you. Where are you?" Little sucker, get back here. Get back here. <laughs> I, I would love to see the conclusion of that story right there. Just Kobayashi dealing with life as a cat girl. Yeah, that's an, that's another that's another thing that should have gotten that they I would have expected them to get more mileage out of. It's it's just kind of a brief gag. You know, have Kobayashi go through like uh be, do like the fooly cooly thing where you have to have wear like hats and stuff to cover up stuff that's sprouting out of your head. Right, right. I would I would have preferred that more than the fucking penis jokes yes. earlier. <laughs> Uh, but then the next story is uh, another sweet one involving uh, Ilulu finding a doll at the shop and trying to reunite it with the owner. And uh, she and Take go on a little uh, doll reuniting adventure right here. The more I see of Take and Ilulu together, the, you know, seeing how like Take is just embarrassed to be around her and how she always embarrasses him, the more I really want to see a friendship build between Take and Shota based on the fact that their friends always embarrass them. I mean, yeah, that that is a possibility in the future. That, that they could maybe, they could maybe do something off together. Wait. You have a big boob girl that always embarrasses you? Yeah. Brother. Brother. 
Me too. <laughs> We're kindred spirits. <laughs> I finally found someone who understands my plight. Like Fuck they, me, brother. I think they might get along pretty well. I want to see them be the best of buddies. And he doesn't have a big brother figure in his in his life, Shota. That would be so cute, Taki being Shota's big brother. It, it's gotta happen at some point. I'm. Oh man, I need to look ahead in the manga to see if it happens, because I would love to see that. It's just got to, because we even got, like, Lukwa and Fafnir here. They, they gotta, it's gotta get around to that. Yeah, if they don't, then they're missing out on, like, a big opportunity right here. Yeah. So, despite it seemingly all fruitless, uh, Lulu still persists, because, uh, due to her own feelings of, uh, abandoning a doll that her old human friends gave her. And seeing this, Take continues to help her out, and they successfully track down the owner, who apologizes for abandoning the doll, because she was told that someone her age shouldn't have dolls, but the moment she got it bad, she just starts crying and being all like, I'm glad to have you back, welcome home, and it's genuinely one of the sweetest scenes in the, in the entire season. You know, warms the cockles of my heart right here. Though, like before, we gotta end on a bit of a joke right here where Ilulu has a, like a, a custom Take doll in between her chest. I do wonder where she even got that from. Did she magic it up? Did she make it herself? Do dragons have, like, doll-making magic powers? Is she taking up a doll-making hobby? Like, it's a very brief joke, like, and, yeah. and, and like, yeah, it probably could've been expanded on a little bit more. Did she commission it? Did she go online saying, like, all like hey, I need you to make a doll this boy right here? <laughs> Going to Etsy and like the store, Voodoo Dolls are Us. Yeah, I was also gonna say like, is it a, is it secretly a Voodoo doll? Like, is she gonna like move his arm and he's gonna move his arm too? I mean, now there's a there's a valid business right there. Like, I'll make a Voodoo doll out of anyone you want. Just give me the picture, and uh, before you know, you'll be pushing pins in no time. Or do like the uh, the Hey Arnold thing where you make like an evil curse doll out of soap. Yeah, even better. <laughs> After that, uh, we get more Elma as uh, she's fighting for better working rights for working working conditions. Ah, yeah, fight the good ah, fight, comrade. Comrade, <laughs> we are in the age of workers rising up. Let's fucking do this, Elma. Yeah, but uh, everyone just says like we don't care. We get enough. And she's like, no, come on. We need we. Don't you want to be treated better here? Come on, workers rise up. You know, don't settle. Fight for more. And Elma is just constantly writing. Proposal after proposal, but they just all keep getting rejected, or just Kobayashi and Takia just laughing in her face, going on like, <laughs> they were, they're not going to do this. They, our company is heartless. They're not going to do this crap. And eventually this leads to uh, Elma, Kobayashi, and Takia getting called in by the boss. The boss, who I may remind you, is actually Shota's dad. Yeah, that was kind of a surprise. Yeah, like, they did talk about it in season one when they first meet Shota. Kobayashi sees a picture of him, and she's all like, Oh yeah, that's my boss right there. Weird, small I, world. T- I, I I totally forgot about that. <laughs> but yeah, we actually got kind of get to see him in the flesh right here, and he's kind of a weird dude, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he's he's got a creepy smile on his creepy face most smile. of the time. I don't know if he blinks. Yeah, not not very not good qualities you like to see in like a corporate ex- in a corporate higher up. He also seems very condescending in a way too. Yeah, he does kind of. Uh, Elma even tries to start up a labor union, but. All that gets completely shut down by the boss. Uh, fucking alchemist, man. Yeah. I'm sorry, but uh, the laws of equivalent exchange can't bring about better working conditions. It's like, you're, you can do magic. You can do so many I know, good things you know company. fucking magic? Can't you, just, like, can't you just, like, fix all this shit? Oh, but it wouldn't be fair to the other uh, other offices in the building. I mean, at the same time, I don't expect Kobay- like Miss Kobayashi's dragon maid to like say anything about like workers' rights movements. Uh, it needs to be more like that episode of Little Witch Academia, where we form a union. Yeah, no, that was that was that was that was like mm, ah peak workers' rights represent. It, wa- it warmed my uh, liberal socialist heart right there. Yes. 
Though we do find out the the crux of all of this is that Elma just did all of this just so she can uh, get out of work early to get some uh, sweets at the station. Ah, naturally. <laughs> just, in the end, it was all a selfish reason. Uh, of course. It's our Elma. And we get more of our Elma as she takes uh, Kana, Saiko, and Shota on a little uh, camping trip right here. And if you love cute Elma moments like this segment, and in fact this whole episode, for that matter, is like for you. Yeah, this is the Elma, this is the Elma episode for everyone. And it also keeps up the trend that season two is doing where combinations of characters that don't that didn't get to hang out in season one yeah try to pair off characters that couldn't that could make for new interesting bits of chemistry and also i kind of love that the kids went to elma because all the other adults that they knew were all busy so she was like the last resort (laughs) showing that uh, they don't see her as the most responsible but they have no choice oh well it's time for auntie elma to hang out with to like tend to the kids for a day and everything seems to be going well until uh she gets distracted by playing in the river, and the kids wander off to go look for some stuff in the forest. Which leads to, like, a really great moment where she's, like, so worried about uh, losing the kids and being called useless by Toru that she just starts running all over the forest, bumping into trees and everything. Like, it is, it's also, like, one of the best animated sequences in the show. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so great. Oh, yeah, it's it's, it's quite charming and cute. And just, see, just seeing Elmo freaking out like this going on like where are the kids where are the kids where are the kids there's no way they were just here how did i lose them they disappeared the moment i took my eyes off of them i don't want to hear it well you couldn't handle taking them on a picnic so lame Uh, that's right i completely forgot i have clairvoyance i'll find them in no time Uh. what's wrong shota someone just tried to hone in on us from a distant location I'm sure it was Lukua. She does that sometimes, but I blocked it. Oh, you boys sure are silly. That's weird. Why can't I sense them? I never should have relied on you to do anything. Too bad. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> Come on, we should get back soon. If it gets dark, it's possible we could lose our way. Oh, we're fine. Chill. We followed the ley lines out here. We can just trace them again to get back. You boys. Actually, we left without saying anything to Miss Elma. We should get back soon. Did either of you hear that scream just now? Someone may have seen a bear. Okay, we made it. That's weird, she's not here. Did she get mad and go home because we left without telling her? She might have been worried and gone out to look for us. Damn it, where could they be? You idiot, well before me, so useless. I keep hearing Toru saying mean things to me in my head. Uh, Hi, excuse me, I'm looking for someone. Have you seen any children around here? There are three of them. How rude! Do you want to be eaten?
one point, like, she runs into a bear, asks it for directions, then threatens it in, in, in like, the same sentence right there. And it just, like, runs off like a scared little dog. And eventually she just freaks out so much that she turns into her dragon form and almost, uh, gets, almost, like, uh, lets the uh, cat out of the bag for Saikawa until she gets put to sleep by, uh, Shota. But all's well that ends well for that one as, uh, Kana bribes her with a flower and she's all like, I forgive you, everything's great. <laughs> Though sometime later, Toru and Elma have a duel right here. We get more sick dragon fights between the two of them right here. Overwatched by uh, Fafnir and Kobayashi as they just unleash their pent-up anger and frustrations that have been building between these two right here. It was a nice moment, but I felt like it should have maybe been followed up like after like the previous like back background we heard about the two. Yeah. It feels weird placing it at the end of like having like these goofy like Elma's goofy adventure with the kids. I guess like they wanted to do the goofiness and then, like, end off on a serious note for her character. Yeah, but I I, I just don't see how that, like, kind of matches up, like, tonally. Yeah, it kind of, it's weird, but... It's like, it's like, okay, we got, we introduced the backstory, dot, 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 dot. Okay, well, let's go back to that for this episode, right after Elma, Elma has, like, an adventure with the kids. Like, eh, like, eh, it's, it doesn't really follow too well. I wonder if it's a thing where they're trying to think, like, we, we want to let this angle breathe a little bit before jumping back into it. I guess, but like it kind of, it kind of. I guess you kind of have to like question like what they, what you mean by like breathe, like after you know, just like let it settle for a bit. Like the people watching the series, just take it all in for now, and then we'll get to it later. Mm, have I to guess. pay off later. But this fight is glorious. It's I mean, yeah, it's the best looking fight in the season. Add this scene to a list of moments where I think to myself, going, man, it would be great to be like a video podcast so I can actually show this right here. Because it's just so stunning. Yeah, it's it's something to see. Like, best best animated sequence this season. And we do get to the root of their anger towards each other as Toru broke it off with Elma because she felt she was taking advantage of the humans that were worshipping her. And Elma was upset that Toru left her behind, made new friends, and seemingly forgot about her. And she just, she just wants everything to go back to the way it was. She misses her best friend. Can we be friends again? You know, she Elma, she doesn't need a partner. She doesn't need a new friend. She needs her old best friend. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, they reconcile and they turn their fight into some good old-fashioned dragon roughhousing. Like, it was actually good. It was super, super sweet to yeah. finally see the conclusion of their of their angle. Mm-hmm. Though then it gets weird later because, again, you gotta end it off on a weird joke where they have, like, a weird see-you-can-laugh-first-tickle contest thingy. The authors thinly veiled fetishes. More of those. Yeah. Not gonna kink shame, but come on, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, no, it just just gets weird in parts. It feels like, you know how there's a lot of weird sexual stuff in the Metal Gear Solid games where you think, like, oh, I think Kojima is trying to tell us something. I think he has some fetishes. I think it's, it's like That's that. That's fucking everywhere in this series. Fucking everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's all over the place. Like, it's wholesome, but it's also like, man, this guy's horny. Wholesome in parts, but also just, like, fucking weird in, yeah. like, other parts. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, but then after that, it's we get our big Kana episode of the season. As it's uh, Kana getting lost in New York, Macaulay Culkin style. <laughs> of all the places I thought the series was, would go, I didn't think it would actually go to New York City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she ran away from home. Rev up your New York, your NYC jokes. <laughs> We're going to the big rotten apple. <laughs> As uh, she ran away from home after getting into a fight with Kobayashi, calling her a butt face. And then I see this, like, ah, oh, dragon in New York City. Does that make Kana the 
American Dragon. Ah, American Dragon. Uh, move over, Jake Long. <laughs> and I guess Brian Danielson. <laughs> but while in the Big Apple, kind of has to deal with uh, the language barrier. Another joke that uh, the dub does try to at least translate well, but is much more clear in the Japanese version. Well, like they they try to get around it by giving all the New Yorkers just like just like just like hard New York accents, and then after uh, Kana uses a spell to translate them, uh, you know, in in the original from like English to Japanese, here it's just like accentless English. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes from like I'm walking here to so oh I'm sorry you can't use that currency here. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone before the spell, they kind of talk like uh, I'm walking here. They talk like 2.0, like, eh, chew it a week, gonna throw coffee in Eddie Kingston's face. We're actually from Quebec. <laughs> Wanna give me some coffee? <laughs> Bada bing. God, I wish we had JP for this <laughs> For just this one episode of the I mean, series. he's a Minnesota boy, but uh, I don't know, being in New York for so long, he's probably gotta have some uh, thick uh, accent right now. <laughs> he's gotta be ingratiated in the culture. Like he, like yeah, he's he's got a he. Pro- I wonder if he actually code switches for like some New Yorkers. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that commute was pretty bad on the way to work today. Am I right? Yeah, man, that's a big bada bing. Let's have a visa bye. <laughs> uh, but then Connor runs into some goons chasing after a girl, and after dispatching the goons, Connor befriends the girl, and we find out that her name is Chloe, played here by Skylar McIntosh. As uh, Chloe's been kidnapped by the mafia, but they're gone now, and Kana wants to play. Oh yeah, that's a regular appearance. You're just like you're just like captured by the nondescript mafia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. New York is loaded with a lot of gangsters. Yeah, the the ethnically nondistinct mafia. <laughs> One of which is led by a guy with the same name as me. It's kind of weird when I watch this. Like, oh god, <laughs> I am not in the mafia. <laughs> Italian, Chinese, Russian, uh, we don't really know. <laughs> yeah, we're a big melding pot of gangsters to, here. To, to a kid, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> but now we get Connor and Chloe lost in New York adventures. Like, oh yeah, we get to go see where the big Toys R Us used to be. Or maybe we should go to Central Park and have a big musical adventure. Yes, we get to go to Central Park. It's, it's a haven, it's a jewel. <laughs> Central Park, and it even has a pool. <laughs> <laughs> it's central in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> Watch Central Park, people. Central, Far- central Park is a very good uh, little spinoff from Bob's Burgers. Like, it's, it's worth it. If you love Bob's Burgers and you love all the musical numbers in Bob's Burgers, why not check out a series that is just that? Oh yeah, the, the, the like Central Park is just like the, the creators of Bob's Burgers saying like, yeah, we love music so much, let's just fucking do a musical TV series. And like Broadway level musical numbers right here. Oh yeah, they get like actual like primo good talent for that series. To... Like one of the producers is Josh Gad, who was in the Book of Mormon. Well, they well yeah, they also get like a number of like guest stars to uh, write music for the series. As Cindy well. Lauper was one of them. Yep, Cindy Lauper. I think in the second season they got the uh, very Potter musical guy to like write some music for it as well. Ooh. Oh yeah, like he's he's actually doing like legit Broadway work now. Oh, that's great. Which is. I, I know, like, he did, he just did, like, fucking, like, like, amateur fan plays before that were, like, recorded on, like, for, like, DVDs. <laughs> and now he's writing, like, actual Broadway musicals. He made, he made it to Central Park. He yeah. made it to Central Park. And so did Kana. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any of you out there, just buy, like, AirPods or whatever, then you get a free Apple TV Plus subscription. Go watch it. Ah, there you go. <laughs> so the two spend the day playing around together until Kana realizes that she needs to return home and apologize to Kobayashi. But then Chloe's suddenly kidnapped by goons. I heard goons. So Kana, 
dragon up and goes to save Chloe. <laughs> uh, kind of scares the goons off and uh, surprise, Chloe, your new friend's a dragon. Jeez, kind of, you don't tell your, you tell your new American friend, but you don't tell your best girlfriend, Sakawa. <laughs> For shame. Just, uh, I see. No trust. Favoritism right here. You trust the American right there. You're going to have trust issues later in life. God, come on. Like, don't you care about the girl that's constantly screaming in your ear? I mean, that being said, it was refreshing seeing Kana, like, actually make, like, a new friend. Like, the Psychoa stuff gets, like, ti- like the whole screaming shit, like, I'm, it, it gets a little tiresome after a while. Like, a little repetitive. But uh, I actually enjoyed seeing Kana interact with uh, another kid her age who's um, taking this whole dragon stuff pretty, uh, pretty, pretty well. Yeah. She's, got she's to... probably watched a lot of never-ending story and is like, yeah. I'm living the dream! <laughs> The never-ending story! I'm the new Bastion. (laughs) But it turns out Chloe was actually a runaway, too. Where does Chloe live? Why, in the great state of Minnesota! Minnesota! Can you tell me where you live? I'm in Minnesota, so probably there? It's just past those big lakes. I see them. Holy shit, I marked out super hard. With From I'm walking here to oh yeah. Oh yeah, oh, hey. <laughs> Aki. I still wonder what the hell, like, a, a little girl from Minnesota was, like, doing getting kidnapped by gangsters and brought to fucking New York City. Like, she said she was rich and, like, her father's, like, a businessman. She was probably, maybe she's from, like, the Pillsbury line or something. Yeah. Probably lives in Edina. <laughs> those, gang- those gangsters were probably thinking, like, Guy- guys, like, we've got we've got the heir to the Pillsbury throne right here. Like, pretty soon we're going to be making lots of bread. <laughs> we're going to be making all that dough. Eh, eh, eh. Wait, you mean money or bread? Both. <laughs> but, like. I, that was so cool. Like I saw that, I'm just all like, "Hey!" I know it's just it's just a th- it's just a throwaway line. They could have said literally any other they state. They could have said Michigan, Texas, California, but nah, they went with Minnesota. But we didn't get any sights from Minnesota, though. God, I want to see Kana in twins in the Twin Cities. Uh, the, the, those those animators over in Japan, like they didn't put in the work to like know what the Twin Cities look like. Have, have Kana and Chloe go down to First Avenue. Yeah, exactly. Have them go down to First Avenue. Have them check out the Pillsbury Museum. <laughs> have, have Kana walk around the Skyway going all like, Wow, it's cold outside, but I'm warm inside. Take a picture of the falls with like the big bridge nearby. Yeah. And so Kana returns home to Kobayashi and wants to apologize and just immediately hugs her. Yeah, this was my favorite episode of the season. I love that so much. And by the way, it was revealed that it turns out Toru followed Kana all the way to New York and kept an eye on her. And yes, if you actually go back during the uh, main segment, you can actually see a little Toru in the background of crowd shots. I, I like that detail. Like, I saw that, I watched that episode for the first time when it was, like, simulcasting, and I thought, oh, she was there. And then when I watched the Naturally, dub... Naturally, you went back. When I watched the dub, I was all like, yeah, she actually is there. That's actually a great attention to detail. I mean, expect nothing less from KyoAni. They They're always... Sticklers for detail. But, like, that, that is actually cool. Something you can catch on a second viewing. Yeah, quite sweet. And after Kana's American adventures, we get some nice bonding time between her and Kobayashi. Just the two of them enjoying summer in, like, one of the chillest segments of the series right here. Yeah, it's the most, it's the most non-gimmicky uh, segment of this whole season. Like, they spend the entire day together just exploring the town, studying manhole covers, and watching out for the rain. It's like, I would say it's kind of on par with the uh, the New Year's Eve episode of season one, where everything's just so relaxing, there's no gimmicks, there's no crazy dragon shit, just 
people hanging out. All of this to come down from what was essentially Kana calling Kobayashi a duty head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's just a little odd to me that we didn't see the actual fight. Like, really? Like, what would Kana, what would drive Kana, like, all, like, away all the way to New York City? Do you think maybe Kobayashi was just telling her to, like, go to bed or something like that and kind of being a, was just being a little brat at that point? I know, I, I, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know what would actually drive a wedge between the two. Yeah, because they're both really chill characters. Like, I don't really see them being angry at each other. Kana, you can't have one more cookie before bed. Like, you're, it's, you're just, it's gonna throw off your whole sleep schedule. You'll stunt your growth, young lady. <laughs> and also during this, I noticed we see Kana playing with a bunch of different bugs, and she doesn't eat a single one. We don't get a return to my favorite gag from season one. Maybe it was about bugs or something. Maybe maybe Kobayashi was telling Kana, you can't eat bugs anymore, okay? <laughs> ah, you know, maybe a moth flew into the apartment and Kana ate it, and she's all like, nope, nope, spit that out right now, young lady. She found out, like, wait, Kana, you've been eating bugs all this time? I've also been eating crabs, too. What, crabs? You're, you're stopping this business, young lady. Yeah, just, nope, nope, and she's she picks up, like, a little ant, and she's like, uh... Uh, puts the jewels around. Like, nope, nope, nope. Drop, drop, drop it. You drop care about it, the, drop you it. care about the sanctity of all life in this household. I work my tail off nine to five, making sure I can feed you, and you are not going to throw that away just so you can eat ants. You are grounded, Missy. This all sounds very likely. Yeah. <laughs> but after that, we start to get closer towards the end. So uh, let's kick things up a little and cover Toru's backstory. Like, how did she come to this world right here? Yes, finally, let's put a stopper on this. Which means we are treated to an appearance from the Emperor Demise, a.k.a. Toru's dad. A.k.a. He... Dad of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> Though he's not here to uh, kill Kobayashi like he was in Season 1. And it turns out he and uh, Shota's dad are actually good friends. I totally buy it, these two hanging out. Yeah, absolutely. So the Emperor runs through Toru's life from his perspective... And it actually all began where all the dragons in their world rose up to fight against the gods in order to attain their freedom from the gods. But as time went on, all the dragons began fighting amongst themselves, fracturing into three different factions. Chaos, the faction that uh, does most of the fighting. Harmony, the faction that tries to keep the peace. And the spectator faction, which is just, we have no role in this fight, we are just off to the side. And in the midst of this conflict, the Emperor had a child, and that child was Toru, and oh my god, look at little baby Toru! She's like a cute little, like, puppy. Just running around, waddling all over the place, like, oh my god. It's the cutest shit. I, when I first saw this, watching the simulcast, I was just all like, oh my god, baby Toru! Like, that was just... <laughs> there should be a plush made out of that. She's so marketable. <laughs> And we find out that the Emperor actually named her after a human, uh, a human author. So, like, he doesn't doesn't quite hate humans all that much. There was a point where he found them interesting. And he does acknowledge that uh, humans do some good things, but uh, the dragons of the Harmony faction started to partner up with the humans, which forced the hand of the Emperor and the Chaos faction that they have to see them as enemies as well. And this is something that he instilled in Toru when she was little, so she wouldn't be ostracized by the rest of the Chaos faction. She needs to learn to hate humans, otherwise... The Chaos Faction will basically overthrow us and her and probably kill her. Eventually, he couldn't let her live this life anymore and gave her free will in order to make her own decisions. He just let her go out into the world, study humans, study the relationship between dragons and humans, and come to your own conclusion. That just resulted in a little domino effect that uh, resulted in her getting stabbed with a sword. <laughs> yeah. 
and because uh, Toru challenges the gods themselves by herself in her dragon form, taking on this big army and this big Zeus-looking god right here. I feel yeah, it, it, this kind of backstory had a was kind of nice to hear to clarify. Like, wait, there's also gods in this in like the world of dragons as well. Oh yeah, multiple gods, like kind of uh, almost Greek pantheon sort of thing right and here. They fight with dragons too. Okay, okay, we're we're kind of going there. Yeah, like this is the most fantasy as fuck world they live in. It also feels like one of those things they're probably going to circle back to. Like, I feel like we, I feel like a series like knowing a series like this and like it's penchant for. Uh, introducing new characters. You would think they would introduce one of these gods at some point. Yeah, definitely. I, I would totally like to see one of these gods break into the human world, our world, and basically try to start something right there. Right, right. Like, pull like, pull like a Toru's father, but like do it something different with like a god from that world. Like, yeah, that would be interesting to see. And later on, Kobayashi hears the same story, but from a Toru's perspective. And she expands on the story, showing like how she did the spell that uh, made her look like human. And apparently, like, she did that on, like, the first try, which shows that proficiency in magic. And also, we see her meeting the rest of the dragon gang, including uh, Luka and Fafnir, in their dragon forms, which do look pretty cool. I do like seeing them. It's it's rare we ever see them like that. I also loved how weird Fafnir's dragon form is, like, all almost bug-like. Yeah, it looks very Lovecraftian. Yeah, or like the, uh, you know, the uh, the Shadow Ghoul card from Yu-Gi-Oh! kind of looked a bit like that. Yeah, a little bit like that. And we also see little baby Kana, too. Mm-hmm. And we do see that uh, her playing pranks, which led to her getting sent to the human world, was just her crying for attention from her parents because her parents were too busy fighting and doing all these battles, which is why she didn't have any attention. Right. And despite the Emperor saying he gave Toru freedom, she never really saw herself as free. She felt she was still being bound by the Chaos Faction. She could never be free, so she challenged the gods, the source of all the conflict between the dragons, in order to just bring peace in the world, like, end the source of all the conflict. And we all know how that worked out. Big holy sword in the back that led to her coming to the human world and meeting Kobayashi. And the rest is history. She now feels truly free. Like, she made her choice to be a maid, and, like, that's where everything led to, to the say. Yeah. So, let's close things out right here. Rev up those anime staples, because we got a summer festival episode! <laughs> These always look so much fun when I see them. They do, they do look quite fun. Just all these little carnival games and all these food stands that look super delicious. Yup, girls in yukatas everywhere, fireworks going off. Yeah, they they look very quaint. And also just Elma stuffing her face with like all kinds of the f- food. The food, is, the food is also the thing I gravitate to the most during those things. Like, screw the goldfish ga- game. Who cares about that? Look at all the nice, good, like, fair food you can get out here. Yeah, I want to eat more food than playing the little uh, pop cap gun game. Okonomiyaki, the, the fried squid. Squid like, on a stick, yeah. I mean, yeah. the grilled squid, yeah. yeah. It all looks very nice. I would, I would love to try something like I that. I want to eat all of it. I really hope the humidity isn't too bad out there, though. Oh, God. Then again, I feel like Yukatas would be super breezy. Mm, I guess, but they're also not for everybody yeah, either. Yeah, not for everybody. So it's like, oh man, that would, ugh, that could that could also be like a very sticky experience. Yeah, and I do kind of feel for the workers having to work in like heat. heat yes, and they're working over the ovens all day. They're the real troopers. Yeah, just give them all the credit in the world for keeping those things running. Yeah. So, you know, after hearing the big backstory, Kobayashi starts to question whether or not she deserves all the love that Toru's been giving her. Like, Toru has made this effort to change, but she feels like she's been kind of the same since they met. Hey. Do you want to take a walk? Just you and me? 
would love to. What's gotten into you, Ms. Kobayashi? <laughs> Have you finally come to appreciate my unique and powerful charms? Mm-hmm. What? You're one of the strongest dragons, even capable of fighting the gods. But here you're able to make friends with anyone whenever you feel like it. And lately I've been wondering, after hearing everything you've been through in the past, how am I worthy of being loved by such an incredible person? You've really been thinking about that? I suppose I did share a few too many heavy stories. Here you are living with me like you never used to fear and hate humans. You must be constantly reminded of the many things you had to go through. Oh yeah, and you're also a dragon, so there's that. That's what keeps repeating in my head. So what? Anyway, I guess it's fine. Even though it's a pain in the A sometimes. Anyway, that's been my dilemma. But what about you, Toru? What's on your mind? You want to know about my feelings? Uh, well, you know I love you, Miss Kobayashi. I feel this way even though you're just a human. And even though we are better than you. Better than all humans, really. I'm sure you're not surprised. I am a dragon, and I take pride in that. I've been places where you have to risk your life and put everything on the line to prove your superiority. But my heart... When it came to love, I had no idea how to prove my feelings. I wondered, would it be easier if I were a better fighter? Or smarter? I wished I could be those things. I spent so much time trying to convince everyone I was. I guess I was trying to be an adult. But I realized I didn't have to try to be anything. It was okay to just be myself. And you're the one who helped me realize that, Miss Kobayashi. You're giving me too much credit again. I think it's a good sign that you're so unaware of it yourself. Because it means you were meant to save me whether you wanted to or not. Miss Kobayashi, I love you so much! <sighs> From this moment on, forever and ever. After two seasons with these characters, like, it's incredible to see how much Kobayashi and Toru's relationship has grown over this time. Like, you can look at them now and see, like, they are not the same as they were back in season one. Like, they are really, really close to each other. They really made a, made a really good, genuine connection here. And I just love hearing Toru say that she loves Miss Kobayashi. Like, you can tell it's 100% from the heart that she just cares about her so much. Like, she can't care about anyone else in the world other than her. We can also feel that Kobayashi is also starting to kind of come over to Toru in, in her own way. She's really starting to warm up to her, like, even more so than in season one. Mm -hmm. Like, I know we joke, like, other girlfriends and stuff like that, but it's like, it is starting to feel like I could genuinely see them, like, they could literally be a couple. Yeah. And so the Summer Festival has concluded, but we still get uh, kind of another 
anime staple with the cherry blossom viewing episode. Mm. We don't see much of these in anime, but they're still pretty cool. It's a, it's an odd follow up though, because it kind of feels like you could have ended things off in like the New Year's festival though. Yeah, you could have ended it off with like Toru saying "I love you, Miss Kobayashi," and that's it. But we still get a little bit more here. The the cherry blossom, yeah, it it, it is not a little nice little thing to see at the end, but it does does feel a little bit tacked on though. A little bit. It has that feel. So Toru sets up a party in dedication to Kobayashi, including a drinking, eating, and an arm wrestling contest between everyone, with uh, great bits where it's like there's one where Ilulu breaks. Takiya's arm while she also flips and ragdolls him in the air. <laughs> There's one where uh, Fafnir and Shota are about to square up against each other and Shota just immediately backs out. And nope's right out of that. Just, no, no, I don't want my arm broken by the scary butler man. And then Toru beats Lukua because Shota started cheering for Toru. <laughs> but it's like Toru just bribed Shota to cheer for him to like throw Lukua off her game. <laughs> You're a kid, have a, have, a, have a magic orb of power. <laughs> Sorry Lukua, I had to do it. By the end, Toru reveals the party is actually a setup for her and Kobayashi's wedding ceremony. I mean, this is kind of what I feel like when I say, like, it's a little tacked on. Yeah. But it kind of feels like one one little, like, you know, just, like, whipped up gag to end things off on. Though they do look pretty in wedding dresses. They do. Hey! The liquor's a flowin'! The party is in full swing! That doesn't sound good. What's mm-hmm. up? The cherry blossoms are fluttering and we have the perfect witnesses for what happens next! It's time for the main event! What you've all been waiting for! Today, me and Miss Kobayashi will pledge our undying love to one another! Wedding time! Wedding! What's wrong with her? All you have to do is tell me you love me back. I... You... I... Yes! You idiot! (laughs) (laughs) Miss Kobayashi! We cannot let this gross tyranny stand! We've got to rescue Kobayashi! Not fair, Toru! Yeah, I want to be bound to Miss Kobayashi, too! Well, according to this magic crystal... I have to tell you about the wedding! I guess we should go give them our blessing, right? Good grief! I can't just turn a blind eye to this crisis my co-worker's going through. (laughs) Grief indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Kobayashi! I'm telling you that I'm a dragon who's willing and able to conduct a formal ceremony according to human practices! But if you're saying that you're no longer interested in my services, then I'll have to abide by that instead! What manipulative nonsense are you spouting, idiot? She can't escape from me, Miss 
all kinds of hullabaloo and hoopla as season two comes to a close while the season one opening plays where Kobayashi is running away from Toru, Toru's chasing her down, Elma's chasing after Toru, everyone's all jumping in while there's fights and explosions going everywhere. As Kobayashi's kind of freaking out about it, she just starts to laugh and goes like, this is actually pretty fun. A little cliched, but it's cute. Yeah, but yeah, it's, 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 it's sweet. Did Toru actually think this would work? Like, all of this... On some level, she must have had to have known this yeah. one actually works. <laughs> Maybe she was just trying to shoot her shot, being all like, eh, you never know, maybe she'd say yes. It's like, I've never I've never had all of our friends in one place to, uh, to uh, guilt you into marrying me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the equivalent of being, like, the couple at, like, a baseball game and having the, will you marry me on the video board? Like, uh, I'm gonna pressure you into hooking up with me. Yes, yes, that, that old tactic. But Kobayashi instead does the thing that I want to see every single time I see that at, like, a sporting event. Just say no and run. And then everybody points at, points at the guy that, like, got rejected and, like, all collectively laughs. Ha ha! Ha ha! <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would, be, it would be absolutely life-shattering for, like, a guy if that actually happened to him. But that would be fucking hilarious if I actually saw that in real life. Yeah, you know, you probably feel for the guy on a level, but at the same time just saw like, ah, ha, 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 you gotta deserve it. <laughs> Trying to make this all about you. Oh, man, <laughs> just collectively fucking shame a guy. Shame, shame, all, shame, shame, All shame. for, like, trying to, like, all for just trying to acquire, like, the love of his life. Trying to make this precious memory that he wants to share with everyone in the world, and now fuck you <laughs> in your dreams. <laughs> oh, my God. Your life is running away from you as we speak. Oh, man, I'm sorry, but I would be kind of mean-spirited like I that. I would be. <laughs> <laughs> you paid $500 for these home plate tickets, and now they're going to waste. <laughs> <laughs> I hope K Jewelers takes refunds. <laughs> <laughs> Every kiss begins with fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and the jewelers just start laughing at him, going like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Tough luck, Toru. Yeah, tough luck. Better luck next time. I feel like if you want a scene that kind of perfectly encapsulates what Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid is, just look at all this chaos that's going on in front of you right here, and like that's kind of that kind of perfectly sums up the show right here. It does. And so season two comes to a close. Curtain down. Final thoughts. And in, in summation, uh, yeah, this is, it pretty much maintains the sweetness of the first season, like down to an absolute T. Like it's it, it everything feels like a natural progression in season two. Like thing, like uh, characters are uh, getting closer to each other and knowing more about each other, and also there's lots of like further cute moments. Like the series does know how to actually keep on the cute, you know, even despite some of its uh, problematic uh, creepiness here and there. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, still makes it very hard for me to recommend to other people. But um, no, if if you can look past that for the sweet moments, like uh, it still makes for a very like solid second season. Yeah, I feel like the sweet moments like definitely sell this more, but like. I feel like it would have to, if you're going to sell this to someone who hasn't seen this, you kind of have to do a bit of, uh, you know, make sure that they've paid a little bit of uh, the anime tax, you know, they know what they're getting into, they they have been down this road before. Uh, yeah, as it naturally happen, happens with some. Yeah, but, I feel, but like I said, if you can get past some of the weirder aspects of the show and kind of look at it as like, eh, maybe like another charming bit where it's like, a show that is this kind of cute and wholesome can get a little off at times, but kind of feel like, eh, that's, that's the show that's just how it is like if you can get past that then yeah like 
totally enjoy it'll be enjoyable. If you just know to naturally lower your standards when watching some anime <laughs> and some the works of some creators, then yeah, you'll get some enjoyment out of this. Yeah. Plus, if you really want to see uh, Kiyoani get close to making like get this close to making like a booby show, yeah. But still, like animation, still as glorious as ever. Like even at points where I feel like it's even bouncier than it was in season one. Mm-hmm. Again, seeing all the characters, seeing certain character combinations that we didn't get in season one was really great to see. I love some of the interactions that they get. And also expanding on some of the stuff that we did see in season one. I love seeing more of Toru's backstory, more of her relationship with Elma, and kind of bringing their whole rivalry to a close, though I feel like they're still going to be... They're going to be sniping at each other as the series goes on. Yeah, there'll still be some rivalry there, I'm sure. Yeah, but it'll be a bit more, like, you know, a bit more wholesome in that, in that respect. I did like seeing more of Kobayashi and Toru's relationship start growing and growing more, and, like, also adding Alulu, like... Appearance aside, which, again, I still find it funny, like, she is actually a nice addition to the cast, and she fits in perfectly with this group of weirdos and dragons that is their inner circle friend group right here. And also, just in general, it's just great to see KyoAni back after everything they've been through the past few years. It's finally great to see them back in action. Yeah, they've they've really been put through some trying times, but, yeah, it's, it, it is very sweet to see them like, back in form with this. And, like, the future continues to look brighter for KyoAni and also hopefully Miss Kobayashi. Like, I know a lot of KyoAni shows don't get second seasons. I'm still a little bitter that we're not getting any more Haruhi Season Me and whatnot. K-On ended after two seasons and stuff like that. But it's like, please break this, I wouldn't say curse or something like this, this trend. Like, give this a third season. There's so much more story you can tell with these characters. And, like, the manga's still going. Like, I recently, I listened back to our first, our season one episode, and we thought, like, oh, it's probably going to be ending soon, but no, some years later, it's still going, it's still going strong. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that, maybe, like, there were some, like, mis, maybe they were, like, uh, some, like, misread reports there or something. We still have more material to adapt, like, yeah. definitely give it to us, and I just, and I'm always up to seeing some more uh, good killing animation. Yeah, sure. Thank you all for listening. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias at Mikey Shioda on Twitter, MikeyShioda.tumblr.com, and Mikey Shioda on the gram. Where can we find you, Ryan? You can find me at 2Bits on Twitter and WolfishGrin on Tumblr. Follow Anime Baby on Twitter at Anime underscore Baby. That's Anime underscore B-A-Y, B-A-Y. Also follow the show at AnimeBaby.podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. And next time, uh, we're actually getting close to the end of the year our next episode and we plan on closing out the year the same way we began it by heroing up once again as we are closing out 2021 with my hero academia heroes rising hey this will this will be fun my favorite my hero academia movie and also book ending this year which started off with season four and bridging the gap between season four and season five which we will get to next year stay tuned but it'll be great, and maybe we'll have someone join us, who knows? Yes, we may have some help along with uh, watching that one and breaking it down for y'all. But look forward to that in December, and also look forward to us doing our uh, anime Secret Santas again. Those should be fun. Yes, I should be doing my first uh, solo podcast for my uh, for uh, my review this year. Ah, you're joining in on the solo podcast thing. Yeah, why not? It's about time. Yeah, and I, I've already made my decision on what show I'm doing, and I think this will be a very good one. I think I've also uh, made my decision as well. It's something a bit more um, uh, slower, serious, contemplative. Like, I think it'll make for a good solo podcast. And I hope 
to the person who got uh, my suggestions. I hope they liked them as much as I liked them too. But until then, stay safe out there, wash your hands, wear a fucking mask if you're unvaccinated, and even if you are vaccinated, and if you're not vaccinated, go get fucking vaccinated. Black Lives Matter, trans rights are human rights, stop Asian hate, and this has been Anime, Anime Baby! on the first day, how will she handle it? These are actually called flame sacks. They're so strong they can hold fire. Whoa, that's cool. What kind of affliction was that? Do they hurt your back? Are they heavy? Mm. Would you like to hold them?